Well, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Welcome to Praise, Prayer, Decree, and Declare. That was Wake Up, O Sleeper, to kick off this morning's broadcast. Boker Tov, and welcome. Here we start our day the best way. Opening our eyes and our ears to hear what Yah has to say. Hopefully hearing the right words coming out of our mouths so that we don't curse ourselves before we even walk out the door. Yeah, it's kind of a strange way to look at things, but you wake up every morning hoping it's a good day. You hope. You wake up every morning with your pointer finger hovering right over that 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 puree button on that blender, supernatural blender, and it's not fruit. There's no banana. It's not milk. There's nothing good. Well, there is something good in that blender. It's 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 your day. It's that that eighty six thousand four hundred seconds that you've got in your day, and it's sitting there, and you know it's there, and it's just calling out for you and saying, "Do something with me. Do something with me." And you're tired. You just you maybe you went to bed late last night. That hand is just getting real heavy. Getting real heavy. And all of a sudden you can't you just you just can't keep it up anymore and and you can't seem to move the hand and that stupid blunder goes off. You just messed up your day before you even got started because you didn't dedicate yourself to what was going to come out of your mouth and go into your ears first thing in the morning. And that's where we got to be. That's how we got to look at it. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected the knowledge, I also rejected you from being priest to me. Since you have forgotten the Torah of your Elohim, I will forget your sons, even I. Now let's look at that for a minute. The, the emphatic tone which Yahweh says that. What does a priest do? What is a priest expected to do? What's he expected to know? Well, he's expected to know how to serve and how to please his Elohim. Or whatever deity is he's, he's worshipping. He's expected to be an adept individual Functioning in that knowledge. He's expected to be a professor, if you will. Of all things, having to, having to do with whatever text it is that he has to know about. 
but the terminology here, it almost seems like it was intentional avoidance. You were aware of the responsibility. You said you would, and then you uh, intentionally opted out of it and completely disregarded the will and the command of the one that told you to do it, that chose you. Those are some dangerous behaviors. Those are some dangerous attitudes. And while this might not be transformed, or we might not, might not be carrying Sherry right now, I got to tell you, far too regularly, that's been me. But that's where it comes down to this important part. Life and death is in the power of our tongues. It is propelled by the very breath he, he placed in our lungs. He is the spark. He is the fuel. We don't want to be the fuel. L2R4 is the pump. And this message is high octane. We are the vehicle carrying a message of Ahava from Shamayim across Eretz. The question is, one, what's in your tank? You know, what kind of vehicle are you driving? Do you go through look go through life looking like some kind of jalopy with four different sized tires and all sorts of severe deterioration? where the only way you'd get a smooth ride out of that car is if you found a dirt road that was beat up as bad as it is? What does your car look like? What kind of shape is your vehicle in? We come here in the morning to make sure that vehicle is up to snuff. You pick one. I mean, this, it's, this is allegorical, but come on. You know, roll with me here. So, anyways, I am excited to be here. We are going to call Yami, call on Yami, and see if she would be willing to pray in the morning. And then I'll be back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I am willing, and with the Ruhak flowing through me, I am able. The first thing that came to my mind is the little song that you're a promise, you're a possibility, you're a great big bundle of potentiality, and if you want to, you can hear Yah's voice, and if you listen, you can make the right choice, and you can become it says anything you want to be. But guess what? I changed that just a little. Anything he wants us to be. Because he makes it possible. So, Father, thank you that you, you teach us, you show us what words to say. You have them written. And you direct us on the path that is straight. 
And Father, your word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. And as we um, learn your Torah by studying, by reading, and by examples of the elders, and by experience, you make it evident how to please you. So I'm asking today that we start our day every morning anew and we submit our will because that's the only thing we can give back to you because you've given us all things for life and yawliness and there is no one who did that for us but you. So on you, we can depend. And so we say, Ruhak, take over and let us be those vessels of honor just for today. And let us do the, let us accomplish those exploits that Yah has for us. For he, in his word, calls them great. He put an adjective because when we're walking by the Ruhak and opening our mouth and letting him feel it, great things happen. It's, it's um, far above what we could say or do on our own. So let us Remember to hold on to your hand, Yeshua, and be close to you because though we draw, we're we're far away, you have brought us close and let us stay there in this walk, in this earth, so that we do emulate all you are and all what in, in, is involved in showing your kind of love. And let us overcome the enemy and let us stand in the truth and be pleasing to you so that we have a life worth living. In the name of our Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for that, Yami. Excellent. Well done, as always. Um, and, of course, Bible software does not want to cooperate this morning. So, as I was saying before, what are we doing with our attitude in the morning. Are we preparing it? Are we are we polishing it? Are we getting it set to share with the world? Or are we taking a ball peen hammer to the fenders and windows? Are we smashing out the light bulb, the headlights? We do do that. We don't realize some may not realize that we that that's essentially what we do but that's essentially what happens we have a choice over all this 
as to what's going to come out of our mouths. Problem is, not enough people take seriously the fact that life is a graduate course. It's a master's degree. You don't get, you do not get to go through life without an ongoing education. Abba does not want that ongoing education to be an education in misery. And there's going to be struggles. We know there's going to be struggles. But how we deal with it, how our attitude, how we allow, where, where we allow our attitude to go is what's important. It's crucial that we keep the attitude right. And boy, does this sound hypocritical to hear me saying this, but it's true. And it's a lesson I wished I'd learned 30 plus years ago. But we can only move forward from where we are. So we're here to encourage you. We're not here to tickle your ears. We're here to lift you up to hopefully cause you to believe that you deserve to be lifted up because you do deserve it. You don't deserve to have to walk around nostril deep in a manure pit. It's not where Yahweh wants his kids. So you might want to you might want to kind of focus on that first thought this morning. If you were a vehicle, if you were the vehicle that people see that they actually have to get into that car to hear the message of Yahuwah, to hear the message of Yeshua, would they want to get into that car? 40 powerful prayers. I pray for a complete, fearless belief in Yahuwah. I pray to be a breaking of dark... That was an engine light. I pray to be a breaking of darkness in people's lives today. I pray to be a bringer of rockal awareness to all I speak to. I pray to walk in the full anointing of my position as a son, brother, and friend. I pray I will be a life-changing encouragement to those I speak with. I pray my first intent in every relationship will be to have, or will be to leave people knowing I love them and that they are loved by Yah. I decree and declare in the name of Yeshua that every curse, every uh, every curse ever directed at my family, my family name, my wife Kim, my sons Greg and Corey, myself, and my brothers, my mom and the all-extended family, and the Mishpaka are broken, and that any unwilling agreement with any type of witchcraft is broken and crushed, and that no lingering authority from any confession of that nature will hang on. 
I decree and declare that my speech and ability to produce and convey every message I need to bring, whether natural or ruachal, is delivered precisely with clarity, passion, promise, hope, and ahava. I decree and declare as it is right and necessary to do that I am free of doubt and all manner of debilitating thinking that has in the past stopped me from accomplishing that which has to be completed in my life, in service, to my master, Yeshua HaMashiach. I can. I will. I must. Figure out who I am supposed to be in Yeshua HaMashiach and then walk in that version of scribe. I am on a quest for the best within me because of the gift Yeshua gave me when he sacrificed himself on the cross for me. In Yahweh El Elyon, I am made Siddiq. Through Yeshua's righteousness, I am free of doubt. I am a son, brother, friend. And uh, some brother and friend instead of part in Kodesh standing with a Kodesh reputation. I am loved to the deepest, most intense definition of the word in all languages. I am shielded by Shamaim Shachma, protected from harm both earthly and in the unseen realm. I am dead to my flesh, sins, failures, and self-defeating and self-degrading thinking. I am a powerful prayer warrior, guided altar worker, and valued and respected member of uh, possessed of the mind of Messiah, pursuing deeper levels of intimacy with the Creator. I am walking with a powerful anointing upon me at all times, benefiting from an intimate relationship with the Ruach of Yah. I am free to express and pour forth the favor of the kingdom of Shamayim because of who He is in me. I have nothing to apologize for, having the authority to walk in unquestionable, unimpeachable boldness, excitement, and truth through Him who lives within and through me. I am instantly obedient, stepping out in faith even in the darkest of situations. I, by faith, walk perpetually in the light of His Hanan, favor, the authority of Yeshua, and the Shachma of Solomon. I am continually being healed of past failures, wounds, or physical maladies, known or unknown. My Kodesh nature is whole because of the price paid by Yeshua on the torture stand. I'm excited about my relationship with Yeshua, not because of who I am, but because of who He is in me. I am walking a directed, guided, and protected Hanan, Mercy, and Barukatad path, lit forever by Yeshua's divine light and truth. It is His way I walk. I am a believer, disciple, and humbled apostle, Shaliach, of the Most High. I am a conduit of his love, wisdom, hanan, and strength, knowing, applying, and sharing the promises of Yah as simply as possible in a way that reaches into the hearts of all men, forever separating faith from doubt and righteousness from wickedness. I am not ignorant of the plans of the adversary and called a friend of Yeshua, therefore possessing access 
to inner circle strategy sessions. Hallelujah. I am Kadesh for the work of the kingdom. Gadriel Hasatan cannot take, shake, or break my faith, my shalom, my joy, my trust, my obedience, or my property. I am not perfect, but I am emulating. Hallelujah. Yami, could we call you back in and ask you to pray over the meeting? Well, actually, you already prayed over the meeting, so that was fantastic. You would like to come forward with your message at this point in time. That would be fantastic. Oh, hallelujah. It, it's my pleasure to... Um, I was able to be up a little earlier, so I was able to... Um, find what Yah wanted me to bring to us today. And I was also able to read in the com- commentary about, about um, why this was written and um, etc. So what we're going to turn to is... Um, uh, the fourth chapter of First Timothy. And uh, um, Timothy was trained by Paul. And I believe Timothy was writing to the book of Eph- or the church of Ephesus in this letter to and um, his purpose was Paul sent him to the churches that were having problems, to the, the congregations that were having problems, to um, train them in the way they should go and to correct the errors. Um, so we're... That we're um, hearing what they're, we're going to read about this correction. And I'm, this came to me because the uh, last, this last week, a um, couple times, uh, rock had been, been um, what's that word, exalting us to become uh, as women, I'm speaking to women today. He exalted us to become excellent and not to let ourselves become lazy and and get to studying and knowing what we need to know. So here it says, um, uh, but the, the Spirit expressly said to, now wait, where is it? Yeah, to the latter times, some will depart from faith following deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, who with false appearances mislead or will speak lies in hypocrisy, um, being cheered in their own conscience. 
forbidding to marry, saying to abstain from foods, which Elohim created for partaking with thanksgiving by the believers and those knowing the true faith or knowing the truth. Um, Because these things created by Elohim are good and nothing is to be rejected, it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified through the word of Elohim and prayer. Having suggested these things to the brethren, you will be a good minister of Yahshua Messiah, having been um, nourished by the word of faith and by the good doctrine which are followed, but refuse foolish and old wise tales and exercise yourselves in righteousness for bodily exercise is profitable um, a little while, but righteousness is profitable to all things, having um, promise of present life now and of the coming. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation, no, of all acceptance. Um, For to this we also labor and are reproached because we hope on the living Elohim who is is Savior of all men, especially of believers. And these things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believer in word and in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Ruhak we should be using instead of spirit. Um, Until I come, be diligent in reading and in prayer. And in teaching, do not neglect the gift in you which was given to you through prophecy by laying on of hands of the elderhood. Meditate upon the things. um, Give yourself wholly to them. And it may be plain in all that you are progressing. Um, Give attention to yourself and to your doctrine and be firm in them. For doing this, you will both deliver yourself and those hearing you. Uh, The footnote says, um, in, in English, An elder can be an ordained office or a um, title for older people um, is not, who is not ordained, but given respect for his age. 
So hallelujah. Um, the main thing, Father, we want to respect what Paul told Timothy to bring to the people. And I'm thinking especially of us women when when you you made it clear that we are to um in chapter five where it addresses um honor widow and in chapter five do not rebuke an elder but treat him as a father and the younger men as brothers and the older women treated as mothers and the younger as sisters in all purity honor widows the ones being true widows but if a widow has children or grandchildren let him first know that age should be sought for those of their um, own household so that the children have opportunity to replay pay obligation to their parents for this is acceptable before Elohim now she who is truly a widow and um, destitute her help her in Elohim and and um and she now wait now she who is truly a widow and destitute her hope is in Elohim and she preserves in she continues in prayer and in supplication by night and day but she who lives wholly for pleasure has died um, while living continually charge them with these things that they may be blameless but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially his family who are of faith he has denied the faith and it's worse and it's worse than an unbeliever when you select a worthy widow help select one who is not less than 60 years old who has been the wife of only one man and is well spoken of by her good work if she brought up children if she hosted strangers if she washed the feet of the saints if she comforted the um, distressed if she followed after every good work but refuse the younger widows now this is where I read more than I needed to I should have started just the fifth chapter sorry if it's taking longer I just want to push to the shove and the point is coming up here where he for me you know he told me well first of all the basics in the footnotes 
because I've been married more than once, we all know that. And um, I thought, well, then that disqualifies me. But it says in the footnote, um, um, a, a widow asking for relief must have adhered to the sanctity of the marriage covenant. And I always wanted to, it just didn't work out. But yeah, you know what I'm saying, um, lets me have peace about that past way that I um, continued to seek being married. And, And that, when we look at, you know, why he said to the younger women differently, and he set an age number, which is 60, which I'm well past, and it, it says, it, it's directing me that I, what I need to do is be in prayer, is, um, you know, my, my job now is, well, he tells us in, you know, in other um, trainings that women aren't supposed to be big shots in this church, you know, per se, the congregation. But but we are to teach women and children to love their love their husband and do right by their family, and, and it, it's because we've already had the experience. And in my case, I, I did attempt, but I also sowed some bad seeds, which everyone has to figure out for themselves. But the seeds um, that I, the, the position now in my age Line, timeline of my age, I, I was, you know, I always had this dream of the perfect kind of marriage and thought maybe now I could look for that. But this is uh, telling me that no, I'm not to go that route. But what it says for younger people, younger women, under 60, I suppose, is the timeline um uh it says um he finishing up about the uh, over 60 year old woman but she should live wholly for pleasure oh wait it's now it's going into the younger women how do they do this? But she should live wholly for pleasure has died while living. Continue change, charging them with the things that they may be blameless, with these things that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not, Oh, that's telling people somewhere further down here. Hallelujah. I read it. Yami. Yeah, I mean. I'm trying to push the shove. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I get that, but the problem is, okay, what? you try you tried tackling an entire book of the Bible 
in 16 <laughs> minutes. Okay? Okay, the Five main seconds. thing I know. Okay, the main... So I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm stopping you. Okay? It, okay. Was a great, yeah. it was a great message. But what you need to do is you, is you need to pick two or three verses. Okay? I know. I have a hard time doing that. Well, well for me. In, in the past, you've had a hard time doing it, okay? You okay, in the past. You don't, pick four tra- you don't pick four chapters and try to cram it into, you know. <laughs> All right, so we love you. We thank you. Abiyah, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, we just ask that you better quote Yami, that you help her to refine and perfect her teaching style. Abba, that you show her what you what you want her to teach on. Abba, help us to streamline and be attentive to those things that are important. And while it's all important and all necessary, yeah, we are limited on time. We want to hear it all, but until there isn't time, there is time. So, Abba, we just pray for Baruchta Anyami. We pray that the message hits home and that it bears good fruit in the name of Yeshua. Hallelujah. And Hallelujah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right, if you could mute yourself, we're going to bring Marissa forward or uh, Ahava forward with her praise, prayers, decrees, and declares for the day. Okay. Yeah, good morning. I have Psalms. You need to speak up. Okay. Can you hear me this one? Psalms. Chapter 2, 10 to 12. Did I read that last time? I think so. Yeah. And now be wise, O sovereigns, be instructed, ye rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the bean, lest he be enraged. And you perish in the way, for soon as wrath is to be kindled, Baruch are all those taking refuge in him. So be wise, O kings, after the words of warning from Yah's anointed, the psalmist counsels the kings of the earth to give up the foolish defiance of Adonai. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. The psalmist calls the kings of the earth to surrender to Yahweh, giving him proper reverence in the submitted surrendered place. They can rejoice yet with appropriate trembling. Kiss the sun. The primary, primary, this primarily has in mind the kiss of submission, where a dignitary receives the humble kiss of an inferior. It also hints at the affection of Yahweh, wants in relationship to him. Yahweh wants us to recognize our proper place before him, but to also rejoice in him and be affectionate in our relationship. 
So kissing was a token of sub, 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 subjugation and friendship. If the king and judges of the earth are commanded to humble themselves before Yahweh's anointed, recognizing his total superiority, then what of the rest of us? Speaking to the kings and judges therefore includes all of humanity. Brutes are those who put their trust in him. Those who defy Yahweh are broken. But those who are those who depend on him are brooked. The psalmist leaves the choice with everyone, broken or brooked. So Yahweh gives us his understanding and Today I would decree declare that Yeshua takes the wheel that I am made righteous in you, Yahweh. I decree declare Yahweh reigns over all. I decree declare Psalm 91. I decree declare that I am made whole. I decree declare I am healed of all physical and ailments. I decree declare that I am a doer of the word. I decree declare John 11:40. Yeshua said to her that if I that I didn't not say to you that if you would believe you will see the kavod of Yahweh. I decree and declare I am free. I decree and declare life in all things. I decree and declare deliverance and healing for the addicts out there who are still struggling and alcoholic. And I decree and declare that the dope dealers will turn from their wicked ways. They will repent and be convicted rightly and put behind bars. I decree and declare that Yahweh keeps men and women in uniform safe in, in Akkad. I decree and declare things that are turned around for the best of my life. I decree and declare I'm out of the wilderness into Yah's promised land. I decree and declare favor in my life and prosperity. I decree and declare Yahweh helps us as we learn more about X39 activity and Asante businesses. I decree and declare that Yahweh's love is and healing is over our nation. I decree and declare that our health care system has no way of doing things. They have no way of natural health solutions in the healthcare system. I decree and declare that mental health is being healed. I decree and declare that Yahweh has first place in healthcare facilities. I decree and declare that Yahweh's fruits is over all. Joy, shalom, kindness, love, faith, patience, goodness, weakness, yeah, control. I decree and declare that Yahweh has first place in our government um, buildings, in our government decisions. And I pray that anyone that's not of Yahweh and the government that Yahweh brings to them, uproot them in Yeshua's name. I clearly clear that Yahweh forgive me of my sins. Psalm 51 7, purify me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. I decree and declare Yahweh keeps love ministry in Akkad. I decree and declare Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, brethren, I can call on you through the compassion of Elohim to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Kodesh pleasing Elohim, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by renewing of your mind in order to prove by you what is good and pleasing and perfect will of Elohim. I decree and declare Yahweh helps keep me safe and shielded from Satan. The Queen declared that Yahweh is my helper. The Queen declared that Yahweh's love surrounds my children, Aiden and Eva. 
and I can declare that all things come into alignment and that Yahweh convicts the sex traffickers. And I can declare that Yahweh heals also with past traumas and abuse and that he heals those issues. It's clear and clear that there's no more division and that my cup is overflowing. And it's clear and clear I'm healthy in Yahweh and I am a vessel of honor and I am obedient to Yah and his authority. I will not lack or prevail to honor him. And I'm thankful for today. I am made righteous and I am beautiful and I'm strengthened to all to do all through Mashiach who empowers me. And I am his beloved, I'm Yahweh's vessel. I'm successful. And I'm thankful for today as I am learning more about what Yahweh has for me and not what the enemy is doing. I am not disabled. I am um, a doer. And I am thankful for what Yahweh is doing. Thankful for our animals. Thankful for my children. Thankful for my family. Thankful for Yahweh's deliverance and for his joy and, his, and our ministers and apostles. Thankful for our prosperity. I'm thankful for Yahweh's cleansing. And I'm thankful for new beginnings <coughs> and jobs. And I'm going to be able to be, be working soon. I'm thankful for my for safety and for Yahweh's love. So, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. Ahava. Well, let's take a look here. How many other people have we got on the line today? Actually, we got us a relatively small audience. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump into our 27 minutes of meditation. We will be back around 8 or shortly thereafter. I'll be on the name of Yeshua. We just pray that you open our hearts and minds to hear you this morning, to focus on you, to be directed to you, so that we can get our marching orders, so that we can begin our day in the most excellent way. Hallelujah. We shall return.
Almighty God, in the name of Yeshua, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to come to you as a friend, as a brother, as a father, as an instructor, as a mentor. Yeah, we know that you are with us at all times. We thank you for that privilege. We pray that we do not take it for granted or make light of it in any way, shape, or form. Abba, we just ask that these moments of meditation to get our instructions would be deep would be thorough and would be powerful because of your love for us. Abba, we cannot, we can never return in degree the way you gave. But help us to try anyway. Saba, we just thank you for today, and I just ask God that as we go into the wealth of wisdom that you would speak to and through me in a way that makes us memorable, pointed, and new. In the name of Yeshua, hallelujah. Amen. Now, when I, when I said new, I did not mean new as in brand new. I meant new as in, oh, you know, I had seen that, but I hadn't really seen that, but I thought I saw that, but I didn't really see that. But I did, but, you know, the, uh, yeah, I can see that. Okay, that type of situation. Okay. Um, now that I've got everybody probably thoroughly confused and ready to hang up, wondering what he's talking about, we're looking, we're, we're getting into Mishle or Proverbs 25, and we're going to start looking at verses 1 through 7. The first verse reads, these two are Proverbs from Shalom, which the men of Hiskiah, sovereign of Yehuda, copied. Okay, now we get most of that. Okay, that's just an introduction as to what's going on. These two, he's speaking about the Proverbs and the fact that they were rewritten and they were commanded by the king to, to, to write them down or to recopy them for posterity. And, of course, Hezekiah did the, you know, did just that. It almost seems like these were written after Solomon and then put back into the Proverbs because of the way it's because of the way it starts out. These two are Proverbs of, of Shalomon, which the men of Hezekiah, sovereign of Yehuda, copied. I mean, it, it, it could have had, it, it's. Uh, let me back up. I'm guessing they were probably written out, dictated by Solomon, and written down. It, either way, it doesn't really matter. Okay, it's just letting you know who wrote it, 
who the sovereign was. And so we dig into verse 2. And we've heard, we've probably heard this one quoted six ways from Sunday, or at least it comes out in a regular fashion. It is the esteem of Elohim to hide a matter. And the esteem of sovereigns to search out a matter. The heavens for height and the earth for depth, but the heart of sovereigns is unsearchable. Now, stopping there for just a minute. It's the esteem. The kudos, uh, the, the, we, we, the kavod of Yahweh to hide a matter. He's hidden it. It's the esteem of sovereigns to search out a matter. Kings, as we understand them, kings, presidents, governors, mayors, are not going to have time to go out and do archaeological digs about the evidence and proof of an Elohim. That is not what this is talking about. It may happen from time to time, but again, it won't be the presidents. It won't be, it won't be sovereigns, little s, or it won't be sovereigns, capital S, the way the world is wont to do. It won't be the political leaders. Let's put it that way. What Yahweh is saying here, he's re- what has Solomon saying here, is he's reinforcing the fact that we need to study to show ourselves approved. The matter that is being searched out here is Yahweh and his righteousness. We are called to search him out. It is the esteem of Elohim to hide a matter and the esteem of sovereigns to search out a matter. We're called king's kids. We're sons of Elohim. We are sons of the Malachim of Malachim. We're daughters of the Malachim of Malachim. We are Malachim by adoption. We can look into this stuff and feel good about finding it. Of course, the only one that can search the heavens for height and the earth for depth and the heart of sovereigns is the creator of all three. That should be clear here. This is wisdom. The heavens for height and the earth for depth. But the heart of sovereigns, the heart of the children of the king is unsearchable. And maybe it's, you know, maybe on one level, sooner or later, one of these days, I get accused of being hypocritical, of making a big deal out of the, you know, wrongly capitalized word God and the not capitalized word sovereign, sovereign or sovereigns. That may happen. Okay. 
I don't anticipate it because, one, there probably aren't enough people that actually get into the word of our heavenly sovereign, our Adon, to realize it, which is unfortunate. But the reason they don't is because they like their dross. Take away the dross from silver and the vessel comes forth for the refiner. Take away the wrong from before the sovereign and his throne is established in righteousness. We can see this happening right in front of us. It's in the news and it's, it's, you know, it's one of those give your head shakes, aha moment type of situation. Do not exalt yourself before sovereign. Do not stand in the place of great men. And again, now we're switching from the Ruako, where we are king's kids, to actual natural leaders. And what it's saying is don't be proud in front of these people. Don't act like a jerk. Don't think you're all that when you really don't have much going on. Or when you're still stumbling over your words and you can't effectively form your sentences yet. Or whatever. Refine, revise. That's what this is talking about. For it is better for him to say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower before a nobleman whom your eyes have seen. Embarrassment is not something that's comfortable to deal with. It just isn't. Regardless of where it comes from. But odds are, if it comes from a nobleman, if it comes from a sovereign, if it comes from a great man or woman, there's a likelihood that it's going to happen in public. And that will make it just that much more painful. Hallelujah. Abba, in the name of Yeshua, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you for your wisdom. Abba, we ask you to help us to dig out, to be those king's kids, to be those sovereigns, small s, who want to co-reign, co-serve with you in a way that represents your kingdom. Abba, we know that you are the authority. We know that you are our Adon. But Abba, you've made an allowance to dwell within us and to serve you while you are there. Abba, help us to understand the value of being a sovereign in your presence, in your kingdom. Help us to want to show what that looks like to a lost and dying world so that they can come to the saving knowledge 
of the sovereign of sovereigns. Abiyah, help us to walk in wisdom. In the name of Yeshua. Hallelujah. Amen. When we come back after this, we are going to move into our Mind of Messiah Motivation portion of the broadcast because it is good and just to do so. Oh, so hallelujah. This is on our way. believe we've come this far and it feels just like getting started somehow we're still running like those kids back then kids back then scrape some knees and falling down but somehow we keep getting back up long as there is wonder gonna keep running yeah we'll keep running in this moment it's electric can you see it can you feel it this dream inside is still alive today yeah we're on our way Oh 
without further ado, we move into the Mind of Messiah motivation portion with Shlyak Rock. We are glad to have him sit back, enjoy, open your ears, open your hearts. There are few better than Shalayak Rock, and I don't say that lightly. Um, he has been trained by some of the best. He has been trained by Yahuwah. He's been trained by Yeshua. He's been trained by the Rock HaKadash, which makes him the best. So, hallelujah, without further ado, Mayachi, my brother, my best friend, Rock. Well, praise be to the great Yav Shamayim, hallelujah. And I just can't tell you enough how excited I am about the message that Yah pressed on my heart to share this morning that I thought would be quite motivating. And uh, that is a message that's going to go into a deep explanation of call the children, and it may take me a few days to actually articulate and get through it because uh, I have quite a few scriptures that I'd like to address, and then uh, just let let yeah, you know, move upon me. But uh, you know, I'll just start with you know the. Uh, many are called and few are chosen, okay? Uh, so the, the thing that you need to do with that, first off, in your head, is you need to not look at yourself as a less than or not as good as person if you're not a chosen Okay, uh, that would be the natural tendency, I would say, for people to, you know, if they're, if they're not a chosen one, then they're going to think, you know, oh, I'm just a called one, you know. But we counter that with all those that recently attended, uh, and I believe it was on the last Shabbat, I taught on the body and all the body parts, and how important we all were. That was the Shabbat thought. So you are very important, okay? Um, but it's specifying a differentiation between called and chosen for a reason. And I think it's directly proportionate to the... Uh, leadership ranks, if you will, that he has established, and that is not established to put some people better than others. What it is is to establish those that are the ones that are to lead the body parts. So the body parts are the body parts, but uh, in essence, those that are the chosen would be more in the position of the Ephesians 4 delegation that he puts forth. And uh, you'll need to open up Ephesians 4 today to 
really see that differentiation between what we talked about on the Shabbat thought on the Jewish Orthodox Shabbat that we just acknowledged or recognized uh, this past weekend. Because I'm not going to re- redo that study to do this study. I'm just going to tell you that you know, you'll have to look for it on Spotify as Scribe is diligently getting these posted onto Spotify consistently um, and working as a media minister to get the message out to the nations. Now, he's probably always considered himself, and I don't know this for sure, but he can, you know, add to this uh, if he needs to, but he's probably always looked at himself as called and fought that calling, but never looked himself as a chosen one. And uh, I I don't think that people really receive and believe they are chosen until they start walking in it. So when you're still being the Jonah or Yonah and you're heading towards the opposite direction of Nineveh and in the, in the, the realm of or, or position of Teshuvah that we've been talking about turning in the opposite direction, I think you can see very clearly by that story of Yonah that you are literally making a physical turn in a physical opposite direction. And it would be no different than if you were walking into a bar to get drunk again and you turned around and headed in the opposite direction of that alcoholism or the source of where you were able to get the alcohol the liquor store, or the bar, you just decided, I'm going in the opposite direction. You have to understand that we we deal with people regularly that as they are getting outside of the rehab environment and they're actually in the, the physical realm, they have to face driving past a tavern, they have to face eventually going into a restaurant, you know, whether it's even an Applebee's or, you know, many restaurants will serve beer at least, Uh, especially in Wisconsin, it seems everybody serves beer. And it becomes a very challenging environment and we need to walk away from it. We need to walk in another direction. And when someone is called or chosen and is to be moving in that direction, uh, you're in a situation where you're supposed to do this. This is something you're supposed to do. And unfortunately, Uh, Because of this this 
stronghold buildup, if you will, or a bunch of patterns of thinking that you've established, which is to be right now during this Sukkot something you're writing about. So if you are really working on transformation, then you should be writing very diligently during this time. I put out a list of 17 things, and I would ask, you know, how many of you even took the time to go to the Transform page or go to my personal page on Facebook, which is two places that I did post it, which now we're not going to be doing that anymore, which means our internal communication when someone like Scribe uh, or Yami gets a document, they need to share it with the people, and therefore you becoming more tech-savvy in that area is going to be important because we're not going to all have printed documents, and we're not going to wait for them to be printed or put the expense out for printing or throw things in the mail until we're more at a final copy situation. Now, if you want to go and print 100 copies of something because you've got a congregation that you're starting, you know, please, by all means, feel free to invest the money in something, but don't be disappointed if the document gets changed and something you printed is no longer applicable because we've made it better because we're still in the editing phase of a book. But nonetheless, the 17 things that a person had to deal with in Kitbe Kadesh 1 was more than enough information on solid scripture step 1 examinations 1 through 17 to really take a look at you and what your challenges are, okay? So this is how you overcome them. And it's hard for you to get to your righteous place in calling or chosen as these defects are continuing to work very hard, these demons, these strongholds, these sins that you continue to participate in for you to move in the right direction of your calling. Okay? I have, out of all the new letters that came in from the prison, from all the guys when I asked about their rock-bottom reality, they all made it very clear that it's already been pressed on their heart that they were supposed to be working in this realm of transformation. That's the ministry that they really have always felt, this is what I'm supposed to do. So just because you get the call doesn't mean you're not going to fall. I guess if we were to entitle this as to anything today, that's what I would encourage you to entitle it. Now, I'm going to probably lose signal because this battery is going to die. Um, I did not realize that all my phones needed to be on the charger. I thought only one of them did, but uh, this one, for some reason, did a fast drop because it looked like it was really uh, pretty good shape yet last night, and... Uh, Somewhere along the line, something sucked the life out of it. So if I'm gone, play some music, and I will try to finish this up, and we will have a promise, and it will be delivered on time.
because Sand and I are chosen for such a time as this. We know, we know she's discovering right now that she's a chosen one. And I don't think she ever really realized that she was, and this is a big awakening for her uh, to realize. And let me add to that, I don't think that if you're a chosen one, you could be married to one that isn't. I think it's pretty obvious if you're chosen to be an emulator, then the one you're married to is chosen to help accomplish everything emulators are supposed to be accomplishing and therefore will probably be the number one support to that fulfillment of dream that is pressed upon the chosen one, the leader of the two which is most cases the husband, um, and I don't see scripturally how it was ever supposed to be uh, any other way. And for those of you that understand, you know, Dean and Jamie uh, Cook, uh, Dean, you know, in so many ways was a wonderful man who I loved exponentially. I, I really loved the little guy. I always questioned whether Dean was really part of that chosen situation because he just would not lead. But there was a season that I counseled the man, and he knew deep down inside he was supposed to lead. Okay? And this is, I think, the real crux of the problem in the Christian church is there are not a whole lot of men any longer as the end times get stronger. There's not a lot of men that are showing up. And if there's one thing that's going to discourage a woman is to have a husband that is not serving Abiyah and have him as his, his first love. The man needs to have that first love position and if he doesn't, then the woman is going to, and it is her obligation, take the responsibility of leadership because she does need to counsel all things in Riyadh HaKodesh. So she is she's accountable to counsel with Ruach HaKodesh just like the man is accountable to counsel with Ruach HaKodesh. Both are supposed to be counseling. And he does counsel us in all things. He will be there if we develop the relationship, which is what the praise, prayer, decree, and declare is about every morning, is to establish that relationship. It would be like you being married, getting up, and not even saying, good morning, honey, how are you? Can I get you some coffee? It would be like totally ignoring your spouse, if indeed you are a bride and you are ignoring, when you get going in the morning, you are ignoring communication, which is prayer. You talking to him is prayer. You listening to him is meditation. So there is not just prayer going on there. It should be in the mornings 
uh, an establishment of meditation. In other words, you should be asking him to speak to you and through you. And once you start that, look out because if you keep saying, speak to me and through me, speak to me and through me, speak to me and through me, what's happening with me right now where I don't have any notes and I'm just talking and my mouth continues to be filled with words and everyone that does this, they know what I'm talking about. It's a gift from Shamayim and you will become a preacher, a reacher, a teacher, you will be out there. You'll be a soul winner. You will have to say what he tells you to say. And what will happen is sometimes in the most intense situations, you'll get a nudge and you'll have to open your mouth. You will not be able to not open your mouth. It may be the homeless person that is sitting outside the Dollar Tree or the 99-cent only store or, you know, is, is in the grocery store with a little kid or a couple little kids and begging you as you just bought yourself 200 bucks worth of groceries with a full cart. And well, with Biden, it's not full anymore at 200 bucks, is it? But anyway, you go ahead and you bring it out to the vehicle and the mother with children chases you down and tells you how hungry they are and you're sitting and knowing you're walking in your food addiction and your gluttony, and you've got all this, you know, lustful, lust for food items that you just bought that were really probably not the most filling, intelligent, economical things you could have bought, but you bought on luxury and class, and wow, I'm really something because I can buy all this great food and now this person comes up to you and says they're hungry. And if you don't have something that overtakes you to grab several bags of your groceries and give them to this person at that point, then you have something that needs to be corrected by the Ruach in your heart. Because the Ruach at that point, if Ruach HaKodesh has taken over, as Yami prays morning after morning after morning, Ruach HaKodesh take over. I want to be more like you. I want to, we're going to see what it's like to be like you. Well, that's what it's like to be like him. We're not going to go give the gal a $20 bill. We're not going to give her a $50 bill. No matter how much she might look like an innocent mom, there's still the chance she could be a heroin addict now, this is the sense of urgency that should be pressed on you to work your butts off to bring in enough cash into the storehouses so that we as a ministry have housing available if indeed the person is saying they're homeless. And you should ask the question. I'm not trying to insult you or offend you in any way, shape, or form, but could I ask you a question and get permission first? Are you homeless right now? And wait. Don't keep talking. Let them talk and puke all over you. And you can ask them some questions about their pain in that because you just ask them a very 
strong question of disposition in life to ask someone if they're homeless if they're not divulging that information on a sign that says homeless will work for food, which most of them are lying. They really don't want to work for food. They just want you to give them something. And again, I'll stand on the, you know, old... uh, old principle that if you give a man a fish, if somebody plays me in the background, please, you are interrupting my thought process in Ruach HaKodesh. Everybody be muted, scribe, please. Could the executive... Producers, management, Yajay, who is managing the content of this broadcast, please mute everybody but me. All right, thank you. It sounds like it's silent. So, and really it's your responsibility to mute yourself. So that's not on him. Whoever is doing that, not muting yourself, and it does happen as an accident once in a while, but some of you are consistently every day destroying the quality of these broadcasts, and it's really obnoxious. Get a grip. It's, it's pushing a button called mute. Come on. Get a grip. Mature. Mature. Grow. Change the way that you get on this broadcast. It is an honor and a privilege for you to be able to be part of carrying a message to the still suffering people of this world, the people that want transformation. It is a privilege that you get to be on here. Don't look at it as some obligation or, oh, I'm so great, I get, I'm going to come on. Look at me, I'm, I'm coming on. You got your head screwed on wrong. It is an honor and a privilege that Abiyah has entrusted you with the truth that sets people's lives free, that transforms people's lives. And it is how we handle that, the delicacy that it is, that needs to be handled with care. So that being said, this person, the dialogue of that. Now, you know, you're saying, well, I thought we were talking about called or chosen. Well, a big part of you starting to develop an understanding of whether you're called or not is going to see the lev or the heart. Your lev has to be worn on a sleeve so vividly that when there are these situations that Abba Yah will throw in your face, and sometimes, may I add, it may be a Malik unaware. It may be a ministering Ruach light, or as they say in Christianity, angel. It may be an angel, a ministering spirit of light, a Ruach of light. It may be one that is there to test you to see how you're going to handle the situation. And it may not be, and that's scriptural, it may not be a real person that's even standing before you. It may be your test of your heart, your love. 
For the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're overflowing with your own greed and lust and gluttony and everything, your heart's going to speak when you say, no, this is all the food I got for my family. I can't give any to you. Instead of, if you had the heart of Yah, a called person at that point that's hearing, hearing the voice of Abba Yah and in the calling place that one would be as a good Samaritan, one would say immediately, the Ruach would speak and say, I can fast for seven days and give up my portion. This is directly proportionate and a synonym to the first shall be last and the last shall be first. When we decide that we are going to take a back seat to someone else and humble ourselves, this is a really good sign that you are getting the humility that is wrapped up in the solid scripture, step seven. When you are willing to give what's on your own plate, this is huge. When we were traveling as missionaries, my son and I and Ronald Hayes, back in 2011, the year before Sam and I met up at the Love Center and began our journey together. In 2011, there were times as we were out as evangelists when I had a contract that pretty much was financing the missionary trip. It was a social media marketing contract, and I was able to do it anywhere that I was, and as long as I maintained my end of the deal, then I was going to get money every month. And I had some other contracts along with that, but it was enough to keep gas in the vehicle. But we weren't living high on the hog, and there were a lot of nights that we spent in the car we had hoped that there would be people that would care for like they did with Eliah, care for Eliah and give him a place to crash for the night, and surely the Berachot would overcome them and they would have an overflow of oil that came into their household. All of these stories are for a reason and a season because when you come into that time of calling, when you come into that time of being chosen, you will be tested all along the way for the advancement of the exaltation in due time. The exaltation in due time where you step into that realm of reality where you are now the teacher that is really the chosen teacher in a ministry or you are the shepherd and you are the chosen go-to person that is totally equipped and ready to rock and roll to shepherd other brothers and sisters, to, to be there, not as the great shepherd, which they say good shepherd, which is Yahusha, he will need to be there in you, or you will not be any kind of shepherd at all. But if you are called to shepherd, the only way you're going to be a good shepherd is if you got the good shepherd living in you. Keep that in mind. So you have learned that 
you have developed that, you have gotten all of you out so that you made room for him to be in. For you to really flow in the prophetic and really walk in the prophetic, you have to be flowing in Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh has had to take over. You have had to yield your tongue. You have had to yield your mind. You have had to yield yourself to hear his voice instead of all the other voices that are screaming out and crying out to be in the forefront of your head. So there's a lot that has to to interplay with yourself in the office of prophet. And then, of course, to be the evangelist is to be that person that's out there on the road like I was. And that is probably how I've served the majority of my time. And the evangelist is going to get the strongest opportunities to walk as a good Samaritan because they're just out there. They're out there in the highways and the byways on the streets. Their motorcycle is out there. It's not sitting in the garage or sitting by the house wishing you had enough gas money or wishing you had enough money to be able to get out on the road and do a road trip for the next three months on a bike. And I know these are the things that go on in the heart of Scott Scribe Pratt. I know they do. I know when he hears that Sturgis Rally is going on or Daytona Beach is going on or the Republic of Texas Bike Rally or any of the majors especially, there's a thing inside him because of the calling and chosen leadership position of emulators because I'm not chosen to be the leader of emulators. I'm chosen to, uh, and call, I'm sorry, I'm called to be a part of emulators and bring in the backup support to emulators that Scott Scribe Pratt is bringing as backup support to transformed recovery. Because ultimately, I'm the chosen one bringing forth transformed recovery. And I believe as equal yoking continues to reveal itself, sand is chosen to achieve that transformed recovery vision and dream with me. She's said it to me personally numerous times, and if you went through all of the recordings that we've ever had, she's given some pretty fiery things from the bottom of her heart as to how passionate she is about that purpose that Yah has placed on our hearts, on our love. This is something we're supposed to do. Emulators is something scribe is supposed to do. And I think rather than walking as called, called, called all her life, I think the chosen position is now that Dean is gone, it's starting to clarify for Yami and she's starting to realize and she doesn't know exactly what it looks like yet, although we have talked about the wisdom of the ages 
a ministry for those that are elderly and going to those places because you can hear her passion and her excitement when she starts talking about it. And she is definitely called to assist, as is scribes, the transformed recovery message and take that message as the evangelist into the AA and the NA sector because in any 12-step sector, she is willing to carry that message in a Kitvik Kadesh 12, or a solid scripture step 12. She will carry the message, and she is a message in and of herself. In the transformation that's happened over 44 years, she is the message. And you need to realize when you realize, when you really come upon the place, wow, I'm the message. It's how he lives in me that everybody gets to see the manifestation of the he and me. This is what makes the message. We need to understand the intense responsibility that's with that. Now, I believe someone could be a shaliach by prophecy, and there's something that they're chosen to do as a shaliach or a shalia down the road. And it could be any of the other offices that I just mentioned, but to realize that the shaliach or the shalia is the embodiment of all four of those mentioned, which they call in Christianity the fivefold. So if you're wondering what fivefold is, you can't find the words fivefold anywhere. It's a Christian doctrine that they made up. No different than the Trinity is a Catholic doctrine that really they didn't make up. They just borrowed from paganism. But that doesn't take away that the scripture talks about Father, Son, and Ruach HaKodesh, right? Or Father, Son, and, and His breath. Father, Son, and the wind that happens as He enters into a person's life. It doesn't take anything away from that to not give it the Christian or the Catholic labels. Because these five chosen places, and I believe it is a chosen place. It is something that designates a leadership pattern that we can bring into a family that will take away the confusion, the chaos, the dysfunction of a normal person living in a dysfunctional family mindset, and I don't like the word set, obviously, but that, that pattern of thinking, that stronghold of thinking dysfunctionally about family and how a family functions. This is what brings that chaos, that unmanageability, again, Kippin Kadesh 1, the unmanageability of our lives. It's not just about addiction. It's about unmanageability. 
and that's in the 17 things that you should be writing about is your unmanageability. If you think you've mastered one because you're not doing drugs, you're probably going to have a very rude awakening and you're going to all of a sudden realize, wow, my life has really got a lot of dysfunction in it yet. Right, because you have not removed the awakening or the awareness of your behavior that is part of the old man. All one really is is the wake-up call of who the old man that you've been is and whether or not as you walk through the next 11 steps of your life, whether or not you're making progress in getting rid of the old man or not. As long as you allow the old man to live, he will, and you need to realize if you're not doing anything to stop it, then you are guilty. You are guilty of holding yourself back of the very thing that you are called or chosen to be in this life, and you may be one who will sadly reject your calling. You may be one who sadly will reject the chosen place that you have. And the only higher realm that if you want to consider it higher that I would say would be a ranking is pretty clear in Scripture that only a very, very small amount will be the overcomer. And that's the reason that my other book, other than Transformed Recovery, which is my personal testimonial book, Seasons of the Overcomer, is because I have always known that I was deep down inside an overcomer. And he's always ministered to me in Ruach regarding the overcomer. And I studied the overcomer, and I looked at it, and it's like, wow, this is a special designation of sitting on the right hand of Abba Yah, right next to Yeshua. This is some pretty cool written stuff in the written document. And if there's anything I want to be, I want to be that. And he will give us the desires of our heart. We have to remember that. So if we're desiring to be called, if we're, re- we're desiring to be chosen, if we're desiring to be an overcomer, all of these things will in due time manifest themselves as we are then exalted. All right. Well, that was a pretty powerful leadership layout. And if you're not there, you probably had 99% of that go right over your head. And if I was to ask Ahava right now whether she got a lot out of it, I'd like to believe that she really did. And I'd like to believe that that exercise that we started a while back where she was to repeat and, and do a recap of what I talked about the day before, I would like to restart that. So tomorrow we're going to test her, Scribe. You're going to put this in that her caring and sharing time that she normally gets, she needs to recap, and you need to put her right before me instead of putting yourself right before me. You need to put her right before me, and then she needs to introduce me, and she needs to pray for me that Yah will speak to me and through me because I want her 
to become so intimately close to my heart, my love, in message that she's able to bring it. And the only way that's going to happen is if I really stick with her in these two calls that I have, in the short, brief counsel sessions throughout the day, and then Sand and I have decided as one that we will come together and we will do a couple, the two of us, in counseling her. So that's all I have for today, but we will continue this. Many are called to you, our chosen message tomorrow, and Sand will be bringing the promise right after this song and this closing uh, closing message from Scribe on the sponsors of the program, our advertisers, our companies that we are working with. He can do a, his infomercial right now as well, and then we'll close out with Sam's promise. Yeah, <laughs> uh, of course. Okay, yeah, this is Scribe, and if you are inclined to uh, – be a better coat to transform recovery to love ink to love for truth you can do it through me by going to asanteorganics.com forward slash subscribe for our z3 product as well as any other um 100% toxic free organic supplements body care you name it, we've got it. Essential oils, the whole, you know, the whole ball of wax because the average person toxifies themselves over 150 times before leaving the house to go to work. So again, that's Asante Organics forward slash scribes, S-C-R-Y-B-E. And that Y is because it isn't about me, it's all about you. My phone number is 920-400-2565 if you care to reach out directly, I'd be more than happy to talk with you. You can also find our LifeWave product, the X39 and assorted other stem cell activating patches at LifeWave.com forward slash X39 scribe. And again, this is a product that essentially realigns, restarts um, what's the word I'm looking for? It puts over 3,000 of your genes in your, to a younger state. And this product is for real, the testimonies that are there. I've had awesome testimonies myself with this product. Um, the pain relief, the energy, the... Uh, the attitude adjustment, believe it or not, it all starts within. And what the product does, all it does is, is it's non-transdermal, it's non-invasive. All you do is put a patch on about the size of, of a quarter. The amino acids, the salts, the, you know, the programming, it acts as a reflector and it reflects your body, your body heat back into your body, speaks to the GHKCU, which goes to your brain, which tells your brain to restart your stem cell system. It's exciting. It's powerful. We are to be the light of this world. If we're to be the light of this world, then it only makes sense that Abba Yah would give it to 
somebody to use that light that we are to work to heal our own bodies. The patch doesn't the patch does not do anything except reflect the heat from your body. Your body does the work. This is some exciting stuff. It worked for the SEALs, it worked for the Rangers, it worked for the U, works for the US Olympic team. If you're feeling pain, if you're struggling, if you're if you need wound healing, whatever the situation is, go to x39 Dot com, go to lifewave.x39.com forward slash x39 scribe. I did that wrong. That's lifewave.com forward slash x39 scribe. And I would be happy to be of service to you. Or better yet, go to the Naturopathic Network Association. And assist the ministry. Because what we do here in helping the hungry, the hurting, the homeless, the helpless, we don't just want to give them lip service. We want to provide real solutions. So yes, we do strongly encourage the X39, the longevity products, the 90 for Life with Dr. Wallach, as well as the Asante Organics getting 100% toxic free, so we aren't creating toxic people. So again, those addresses are www.scribes with an I, couldn't change that one, scribes.youngevity.com. Asante Organics forward slash scribes with a Y, and www lifewave.com forward slash x39 scribe and I'd be more than happy to help it's what I do I am thankful that y'all brought this into my life and you know the overcoming that's happening that is possible because of the system that has been brought to us by the naturopathic network association is phenomenal. It's one of those situations that you just can't get away from. If there is a five-fold ministry going on somewhere, it should be wrapped up in your marketplace ministry as a marketplace minister so that you can share the love that was shared with you. Again, if you want to reach me directly, that number is 920-400-2565. I look forward to hearing from you. Until then, Barukata, Bokatov, have an awesome day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Yabaruk. Is one of the Yajins either Ahava or I'm working. Song? <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm out walking the dog right now. All right. Well, Ahava, if he doesn't have a song, you're supposed to have one ready. 
and that'll keep you on your toes while you're in these calls too, to not let your mind wander all over the place and uh, start looking at, you know, your jobs and whoever is contacting you regarding work and all of that uh, while the call's going on because that should not be a distraction. You have to give yourself 110% right up until 7 o'clock when we wrap it up. So uh, I hope that wasn't the case. So is there a reason why you didn't have the backup song, which is one of the reasons why I gave you access to the password to be able to help bring forth the broadcast as well as you're going to be the Yaje that is going to be prominent in helping Yami do the Battlefield of the Mind Joyce Meyer teaching. And you're going to need to be very equipped and ready to go to handle all of this. And we're waiting for you to get a solid job before we Thank you. I am a little unstable. Loose wires always getting tangled now.
Hallelujah. Well, good morning, everybody. I uh, actually had a, a verse picked out, a promise for yesterday. And um, I didn't put my phone on, so, you know, Rock didn't know I was up. And because I could hear him when he was out in the living room, so I was like, well, I don't need to turn the phone on. So, anyway. What's interesting about that is that I said to myself, well, it'll probably be more appropriate for tomorrow and go right with it, right with the message that uh, is being given tomorrow. So anyway, the verse is in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And it says, this is from the Hallelujah Scriptures, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their witness. And they did not love their lives to the death. I'm sure, you know, we've all heard this in other versions. Um, King James says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And there's obviously many, many other versions um, as well. And the hymn that's being defeated is Hasatan, the Satan. And the blood of the Lamb, of course, is Yeshua. But who's the they? The they is us. And actually, it's the us in the second half of the tribulation. It's not at the beginning of the tribulation, but it would certainly still apply to us as believers because actually, we're before the, we do have the ability even before tribulation to defeat Hasatan in our lives. And uh, how do we do it? It says by the word of their testimony. And and I, I guess the point I was making is why this was being written in, you know, the latter part of the tribulation is people are still going to be overcoming. The, um, the fact that they're doing it unto death is probably more of a a prevalent and factual case scenario than it is right now. But we can overcome them now and and not be you know get our heads chopped off. Um, but we try to overcome Hasatan by our testimony in the end. In the end, the end there's going to be a very high chance that you will be executed for your faith. So what a privilege we have that we can overcome Hasatan right now by the blood of the Lamb and by 
the word of our testimony by speaking out how we overcome, speaking out how Yeshua has saved us, how he has helped us to overcome our addictions, how he helps us to overcome our strongholds, and we can do it without truly the fear of death at this point on earth. But the you know the good news is that we can do that, and the good news is even you know if we come to the tribulation period and we continue to have our testimony that we will be able to do it. So some of the other words that's used for overcame is defeated. Conquered. They're scrolling down at some of the other verses they have here. They say tri- triumph. Actually, they use the word you know that starts with a V. That's actually a god or goddess, and we won't use that one. But it starts with a V. But there's also triumph. That's a great word. So we triumph over. The enemy. We triumph over Hasatan. That's pretty awesome. Because the world looks at him like he's this big, powerful, amazing type being that is taking over everything. But it says here in Revelation 12.11, we can triumph over him. We can defeat him. We can conquer him. How? With the blood of the Lamb. We know who our Savior is. We know what his sacrifice meant. The entire Old Covenant was pointing to a Savior that was coming. All the sacrifices, all the blood sacrifices that were done year after year after year among the people was all just a foreshadow to Yeshua HaMashiach, the one that needed to be slain to die for the sins of the entire world. And because we know that, and because we walk in that, and because of him, we have a testimony. We can say, I'm not that old man anymore. I'm not a cheater. I'm not a liar. I'm not a drunkard because the blood of the Lamb washed me clean and he gave me the power, the Ruach, to not do it anymore, to change to Teshuva. We go to the latter part of this verse. And they did not love their, well, here's another different verse or different version of it. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You know, I am grateful that we're not at that point. It would be, wouldn't it be, I mean, would it be harder? It would be harder because you'd know that, oh, man, I might, you know, if I say that, If I say that, if I tell this person, if I try to encourage this person here right next to me 
that you can do it. Yeshua died for you. His blood was shed. I did it. I was able to overcome that because you say something like that, you might be put in a jail and beaten and put on trial for death. That might make it a little bit harder, don't you think? So I'm grateful not to be living in those times, honestly. And I guess but the point is the conviction to love him is is so strong and so important and so real that people are going to do it anyway. And I guess we could all ask ourselves, would I do that now if that was the case? You know, it's it's hard to say. It's easy to say yes. But if it really was true and we were really facing death, would we? But the point is we can't. it's okay. We can because we know that it's the flesh that is dying. It's not our soul. And if we keep our eyes on him, he's going to protect us. And we are going to have his promise of eternal life. So we can be overcomers on earth. We can be overcomers in this life. And we can defeat the enemy in our lives. In every area, we defeat him. We conquer him. We overcome any challenge. And it's a beautiful, beautiful promise. Powerful promise. Actually... It is the, the, the scripture I stood on when I was asked to speak in front of a Celebrate Recovery group a number of years ago. And I've had a lot of fear of getting up in front of these people. And I wanted to back out. And this verse... is the one that kept me on task because the line that says, by the word of their testimony, I overcome Hasatan. I knew I had to share. I knew I had to open my mouth. And it gave me the strength to, to do it. So I will read it. Again, <laughs> I'm actually not sure what your verse I'm going to read it. <laughs> I guess I'll go back to the Hallelujah Scriptures here. It's a little different here, but I'll read it from that one. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their witness, testimony or witness, and they did not love their lives to the death. Hallelujah. So, Let's be grateful today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Yah. I'm grateful that when I speak of you, I'm really not in danger of being sent to jail or dying today. But there will become a time. But I'm grateful that that blood of the Lamb and that word that comes out of my mouth because of the testimony that you gave me, because of the witness that I have, because of the overcoming life, 
that I can live today because of you. I can defeat Hasatan. I can conquer him. I can triumph over sin and death because of you. So what an awesome and wonderful promise that he gave us in Revelation today. And you know, I pray that we do walk around today in a triumphant type of attitude, knowing that we are not defeated, no matter what. If these demons try to speak to you or speak to us, Father, I pray that we are reminded of this verse, that they have no authority, that because of the blood of Yeshua, we can overcome. We are overcomers. And I thank you for it. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for the witness and the testimony that you've given each one of us in our specific path that we're on and where we are at this point. We're all growing. We're all changing. We're all getting stronger. And it's all because of you. And let us have a, a true belief that we can overcome that the enemy can't lie to us, that we would know his voice so well that we could take that thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Yeshua Messiah and say, no, you're not lying to me. I'm not believing your lies anymore. You are defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah. Praise be to the great Yah Shamaim. We are going to now bring you seven songs of mind of Messiah motivation coming to you from Ahava herself. Ahava is now from here forward. As long as she doesn't have a job that starts this early, she is going to be playing the seven songs after sand. The seven songs after sand, it's going to be her choice, the most motivating music that we can throw at you, seven songs. And after the seven songs, we are going to discuss different things that she's going to play that will be very motivating, whether it be Joyce Meyer, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, or whoever it may be, Zig Ziglar, Les Brown, she is going to put that on. So she's going to become a stronger part of a media ministry and a media broadcast, and she's going to take a stronger role in this, and it will be a part of her serving and giving back to all of y'all. And while she's giving, she'll be getting, because she'll be listening very closely. She'll be thinking. She'll be engaged with the broadcast, because it's her baby from here forward. San and I are going to go into our morning meeting that we have with each other to discuss the business of the ministry as well as, you know, the kingdom business, as well as our businesses in marketplace ministry that we have, and we need to have that time together. So it is now from here forward, from this day forward, 
Scribe will be going out to work because he's on the time zone that it is after 9 o'clock for him. He's out in the field. He's seeing people. He is busting a move out there. Yami's out there working because she has a business, and she's out there at 9 o'clock, and she's scheduling herself to talk to business owners every morning saying, hi, my name is. And then in the meantime, it's only 7 o'clock over here, so Mind and Messiah Motivation is now going to be run the seven songs and then a strong at least one hour to two hours worth of speakers that will be very motivating and they come from a Messiah Yahusha standpoint in their disposition of what they share and care with the rest of us. So let it happen. It's all on you, Ahava. You got this. Rock on.
Satisfied with your giving Made by your spirit living Teeming with holy song Singing
say, I'm going to find the way or I'm going to make the way. What is it that's going to truly fulfill you? Things, getting things is not going to make you happy. You want clients for life, not just customers. They want you to supply them more information. He never thought through an exit strategy and he got almost nothing for it. There's a resource that people believe is missing. But failure comes from all the little things. Activity without high levels of purpose is the drain of your fortune. So use your body and your voice. He's an American motivational speaker, personal finance instructor, and self-help author. He became well-known from his infomercials and self-help books. In 2013, Forbes estimated his net worth to be $480 million. He's Tony Robbins, and here are his top 10 rules for success. Ultimately, if you're going to have lasting change in anything, you're really talking about just raising your standards. I mean, I always tell people, if you want to know how to change your life, I give it to you in three words, boring as it sounds, raise your standards. Now, what does that mean? Corny as it sounds, raise your standards. Well, thank you for the breakthrough thought, Tony. I'm glad I wasted my time watching this little email with you. But think about it. Lasting change is different than a goal. You don't always get your goals, but you always get your standards. Maybe it would help you is to think about it this way. I, I try to explain standards to people with a different set of words. Think of it as everybody in life gets their musts. They don't get their shoulds. Right? Think about it. Most people have a list of shoulds, don't they? Don't you have a list of the shoulds, things you should do, you should follow through on? I, I should lose some weight. I should work out more. I should make more calls. I should respond more rapidly to my email. Whatever. You know? I should get into the office earlier. I should be you know, more confident. Whatever your should list is, people love to have their should list be met, but it's kind of like New Year's resolutions. If it does, it's really exciting, but if it doesn't, which is most of the time, eh, it's a little disappointing, but you kind of know it's not going to happen. But when you decide something is a must for you, an absolute must, when you cut off any possible, you say, I'm going to find the way or I'm going to make the way. Human beings, when they resolve things, when they make a real resolution inside themselves, which is they raise the standard and they make it a must, they find the way. Think about it in your own life. Haven't you had some area of your life where you raise your standard and your life has never been the same? Maybe at one time in your life you smoked cigarettes or you did something and you did it for years and you kept trying to change it, trying to change it and kept telling yourself, I should. And then one day something happened. Something just clicked you over. Something took you over that kind of tipping point. And inside yourself you said, no more. And it was a very, very different experience, wasn't it? Something inside of you shifted. And what was a should became a must and you've never gone back. Is there an area like that in your life you can think of? Again, did you ever smoke cigarettes? Did you ever eat a certain way, drink a certain form of alcohol, and then finally say no more, and you just don't go back? And notice this, it doesn't really take any willpower anymore. Because somewhere when we make this click, when we make something a must, we attach ourselves to it. It becomes part of our identity. And one thing I've learned in the last, gosh, 33 years of working with people from now over 100 countries, 4 million people, is human beings absolutely follow through on who they believe they are. If you said, said to me, well, I'm really going to work hard to stop smoking, but, you know, I've been a smoker my whole life, and I'm, you know, I am a smoker. I know your days are numbered. You're going to be back smoking cigarettes again because we all act consistent with who we believe we are. I tell people the strongest force in the whole human personality is this need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves. If you define yourself as somebody who is really conservative, you're not going to be crazy and act nuts unless you're really drunk or something, and then you can say it's the alcohol, when it's really just you finally getting permission to be yourself, the alcohol is your excuse. 
if you're a really crazy person, you act crazy, outrageous, playful. You don't act conservative because that's not who you are. Very often people say, well, I can't do that. I'm not that kind of person. And I always say to people, really, when did you define yourself? I mean, really, how many years ago did you come up with what you could and couldn't do in your life? How many years ago? Most people, if they really look at how they're living their life today, it's based on a set of standards, a set of beliefs that they made choices about 10, 20, 30 or more years ago. I mean, very often we made decisions in our youth or very young about what to believe, about what we were capable of, about who we are as a person, and that becomes the glass ceiling, if you will, that controls us. There's a, a corny metaphor, but it's true. I remember one time I was with my family at the circus, and there was a person there, and they had this big, giant elephant. And you look at this elephant, and they take this little rope, put it around the elephant's neck, and they drive this stake into the ground. And I mean, you look at this, and you know that elephant could rip down the entire tent with almost no effort. And yet, the elephant doesn't struggle, doesn't try. Why? Because the elephant's conditioned. And they take that elephant, condition the elephant when it's a baby elephant. That's how they train them. When it's a little baby elephant and it doesn't have the power yet, they put a big rope around it and they drive this huge stake in the ground and the elephant fights and fights and fights. And one day, finally, that elephant decides, I'm not capable of pulling this out. And once that becomes the definition of an identity of anyone, an elephant in this case, they don't even try anymore. It's just who I am, that's how it is, that's just the way it is in my life. I'd like to ask you to Take a look at any place you've got a limitation and ask yourself, when did I decide to accept that limitation? And you may not even see it as a limitation. You might see it as just, that's who I am. But so often in our lives, we've adapted to be a certain way so that we don't fail or so that people will like us or respect us, but it's not necessarily who we are. Joy comes when you're spontaneous. It's really hard to be truly happy when you're not being yourself. And most of us have no clue who we are. And so a big part of my work, if you've ever been to an event, you know, is to get people to do things spontaneously without thinking, because that's when the real you shows up. That's when the energy comes alive. And when you do that, when you start to connect to your true nature, suddenly there's energy available for you to set a higher standard for what you want in your life. That's what this is really all about. And when I talk about standards, when I talk about, you know, shoulds versus musts, think about your own life. I know there have been areas in your life where some point in time you just shifted and you raised the standard and your life changed. Because whatever people have their identity attached to, they live. We live who we believe we are. That's just how it works. It's just kind of like, I'll give you an example. Look at your physical body. Your physical body today is an absolute reflection of only one thing. Not your goals, not your desires, but your standards. The identity you have for yourself. If your standard is you're an athlete, then there's a certain amount of strength, a muscle tone, an energy that's available in your body on a regular basis because that's who you are. And so you do whatever is necessary to maintain that identity. Again, the strongest force in the human personality is this need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves. Because if you don't know who you are, you wouldn't know how to act. Once you lock in on that identity, your brain finds a way to keep you there. If you say, uh, you know, man, I've, I'm overweight, I've always been overweight, I'm big boned, and that's the story you've got, then you're going to always find a way to get back there. That's your settling point. That's your identity. That's where things lock in. If you see somebody who's in really great shape, you ask them, do you work out? You know the answer. Yes. How often? And they'll tell you three times, four times, five times a week, whatever. In a seminar, I'll ask people, who here works out at least five days a week? And I'm stand up. And you look around that room, 
And you know that they work out five times a week because you can see their body. You don't just get a result without some kind of action, without some form of ritual. Ritual meaning actions you do consistently. Now, do you think those people that are out there working out five days a week, do they have more time than you do? Or I have, or anybody else? Of course not. Is their life less busy? Of course not. It's just a must for them. They must work out that way, and they've made that turn, and their life's changed. So I'm not saying you have to work out five days a week. I'm just saying whatever you really want, wants don't get met consistently. Standards do. Whatever you identify, this is who I am. And so it's not so much about changing your identity as it is expanding it. You know, deciding that, you know, instead of your goal is to lose 10 pounds, which is not compelling, what if your vision was to get back to my fighting weight? You know, this, this year, this month, this next 90 days, I'm going to transform my body. I'm going to take on a new challenge. I'm going to find some technique or strategy. There's a million of them that can reframe myself where I want to feel younger, stronger, more vibrant than ever before. Here's my reasons, because I want the energy to really make my life work. Because it's tough out there, and I want to be stronger than I've ever been before. I want to go in front of the mirror, and if I'm naked, not, you know, want to laugh. I want to look there and take a good look and go, yeah, <laughs> I'm proud of whatever I see there. Whatever it takes, something's going to make you laugh, smile, something's going to tease yourself, but something's going to move you to another level. If you identify yourself in a new way, and you own that every day, and that becomes the standard of how you live, you'll find the way to make that standard real. Money's the same way. Think about it. It doesn't matter what's happening, quote-unquote, in the marketplace. People that make money find a way to make money no matter what, don't they? I mean, most people's standard is to pay their bills. So that's what most people find a way to do, even when economic times get tough. Most people, if that's their absolute standard, they find a way. Some people's standard is pay their bills most of the time. And so most of the time they do. Some people's standard is not just to pay their bills, but to take care of their family and maybe even some of their friends. And they find a way. In fact, you know, some people may be in a family where they don't have enough money. They barely have money to pay their bills. They work their guts out. And then somebody, their mother, their father, somebody else, their sister gets ill, and there's not enough money to take care of it. Nobody else has money in the family. They don't either, but they find a way to get that money to take care of their mother or father, don't they? And pay their bills. They never could do it before. Why? The situation made them raise their own standard. And not everybody does that. Somebody else in the family might have money and still not take care of their mother. It all comes down to the inner game, my friends. Changing your life is a change in the inner game. The outside world you can't control, but you have absolute control over this one if you learn the dynamics of what shapes you. And identity is one of those simple, clear, fundamental basics that if you start to shift it, everything else will shift in your life as well. Some people, by the way, have to have more than enough money to do what they want, when they want, where they want, with whomever they want, contribute the way they want. And if that's their must, they find a way. I know that sounds overly simplistic, but it's true. You know, somebody once said, you can take all the money in the world out of the hands of everybody, out of all the wealthy people in the world who are really successful, give it to other people. It wouldn't take too long. Those people would have it back in their hands. It's not because they're manipulative. It's because they have a standard. Some are manipulative, don't get me wrong. But they've got a standard of what they're going to find a way to make happen. I'm just simply saying to you, take those three magic words and live them. Raise your standard. Michael Gerber, the guy that wrote the E-Myth, you know, talks about why so many businesses, young businesses fail. And one of the things he says is most people are not really entrepreneurs, but they think that's what they should be. They think that's the sexy thing, that's the most attractive thing, that's the best answer. And what I say to you is, you've got to separate the vehicle from the outcome. What is it that's going to truly fulfill you? What is it that's going to give you that extraordinary life? 
What's going to make things magnificent on your terms, not somebody else's terms, not your father, your mother, your background? What is that really? Separate the vehicle, because there's many ways to get that vehicle. But I'm saying, sometimes you've got to reevaluate what's going to really make you fulfilled. What is your gift? Are you an artist? Are you the talent that can produce something no one else produces as a skill or a product or a service or some impact? Are you incredibly good at management? You really know how to manage or lead people. Are you an extraordinary entrepreneur that has, can take that gigantic gut load of risk and can create the vision and attract the talent that you need and the managers and leaders? You may have all three abilities, but which one really fulfills you the most is going to be the critical question. Because we tend to want to do them all, especially in a room like this, because you're all overachievers, right? Me too. And you say, well, I can do all these. Yes, you can, but what will it do to your quality of life? See, again, the secret's going to be this. What is an extraordinary life on your terms today? Things, getting things is not going to make you happy. That's good news in a tough economy. It's a good reminder. You know, it doesn't matter what you get. It doesn't matter whether it be money or opportunity. All those things might excite you for the moment. You know, even a relationship, as magnificent it may be, might be exciting for a while. But if you don't keep growing, that relationship isn't going to stay exciting. So the secret to real happiness is progress. Progress equals happiness. And if we can make progress on a regular basis, we feel alive. And that's why at the beginning of the year we get this thing like, okay, I can have this fresh start. I can really do what my soul desires. I can expand. I can grow. I can improve. I can change. Or maybe better than change, I could progress. See, think about that. Progress is an aliveness to it, doesn't it? You don't have to work at changing. People say all the time, now, well, I'm, I'm working on changing. Don't worry about it. You don't have to work on changing. Change is automatic. Your body's going to change whether you want it or not as the years go by. And no matter how hard you work, there's going to be some changes going on there. The economy is going to change no matter what you want it to do. The weather is going to change. Relationships are going to change. Everything in life is always changing. We don't have to work on change. Change is automatic, but progress is not. So if you want to make real progress, then you really got to look at your life in a different way. You got to say, I got to take control of this process and not just hope it's going to work out like people do who make a resolution. Treat people at the end of the relationship like it's the beginning and there won't be an end. And that's not just your intimate relationship. What if your customers, what if you fell in love with your customers, with your clients, more than your product, more than your company? If your entire life was about meeting their needs, if you would do what for your customers and clients, you would do what? If you love your customers and clients, you do anything, guess what? They're going to love you. But most people love their customers and clients as long as they buy from them, do what they want, respond to them. And when they don't, they go, that's the end. You want clients for life, not just customers? Fall in love with them. It's a different focus, isn't it? It's a different meaning. And that creates a different life because you make decisions differently from that place. What does it take to create world-class marketing? What is the unique selling proposition? What is what we call value-added marketing, VAM? Today, most people are sick and tired of advertising because where is it? Everywhere. In fact, I've got a question for you. How many of you in this room do not even see banner ads anymore. Literally, it's there, but you don't perceive it. Like, there's, like your brain literally washes it out. Raise your hand if that's true. Keep your hands nice and high and look around the room right now, and you'll see 98% of the people wash it out. So don't buy them unless you're going to create something really unique. It's a total waste of your money and your time in the world we're in today. Today, what creates marketing is when you don't just market, but 
You add value to people. You do something. You teach them. You give them an insight. You give something valuable that costs them nothing, and then they look to you as an expert. They look to you as a person that adds value. They want, they want you to supply them more information, more experience, more products, more services. If you've led, made this whole business about meeting your needs, you can run a successful business, but it'll be a job. Because you'll never be able to sell it. Because if it's just meeting your needs, it's not a system. It demands your attention, your connection. It's giving what you want. But ultimately, it's not going to give somebody else what they want, so you can't sell it. If you can't sell your business, if you don't have an exit strategy, you have a job. I don't care how successful the business is. That doesn't mean you have to sell the business. But one of the most important decisions you make in business is, ultimately, if I was going to sell this, if I chose to, I have to know who what I sell this to so that I have long-term value, not just an income along the way. I have this critical mass hit. I get a multiple of my business. And most people don't have a clear exit strategy. They think I'll come up with that someday. You've got to start with that end in mind. That's got to be part of your focus if you're going to be successful in your business. I can remember um, a gentleman who's built CAA in Hollywood, his largest, most successful agency, right? Michael Ovitz, remember that name? He put together Nike and Coca-Cola and these billion-dollar deals. And eventually, Mike Ovitz went to go sell that business. He never thought through an exit strategy, and he got almost nothing for it. Because the laws prevented him from selling it to a studio. He had to sell it to some of his employees for pennies on its real value. Now, Mike found a way to make money later on in another place off of Disney. But the bottom line is, the guy didn't have an exit strategy. Even though it was brilliant, made lots of money, in the end didn't get the value. Whenever people fail to achieve their goals 99.9% .9 of the time, and you ask them why, they'll tell you it's because of a lack of resources. That's what all these things are. I didn't have the support, right? I didn't have the money. We didn't have the time. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. There's a resource that people believe is missing. And that resource, belief structure, then keeps people from ever being able to really lead. Because what leaders do is they find a way to maximize whatever resources they have, as little as they may be, and they don't believe in limited resources. I'll give you an example. Let's take a business example to start with. In 1974, a guy named Sam Walton had built his little company up. He came up with an idea. He started with $20,000 in, I think, 1962, if I remember right. But by 1974, within 12 years, he had 78 stores. And you know how he did it? In the middle of the night, he'd drive across the border, and he'd go and study other people's stores. He'd buy everything the cheapest he could in the middle of the night. He'd go to other people's stores. Whatever was working, he figured out success leaves clues. He came back and did it in his store. Whatever was working in any store, in any competitor, anywhere he could do it, he did it. So he figured out how to maximize the little resources he had. His 20,000, built 78 stores, and if you read any of the people following him, the company had gone public in that year, they were all saying, this is it. He's maximized his resources. I mean, he only has so much money. There's only so many cities that are going to appeal to this discounting mentality, right? This is it. This is all he can do. And the word on Wall Street was sell. Now, what's interesting is at that time, you look at Sears and Kmart, and they were gargantuan companies, weren't they? 20, 30, 40, 50 times, 100 times his size or more, probably. And at that time, they were the leaders, and they knew what's going to happen. But did things change, yes or no? Did he suddenly get mass amounts of capital? No. Here's what they didn't understand. Sam Walton now, or the Walton organization, Walmart, is the most successful retailing operation on earth. And when you talk about Bill Gates being the richest man in the world, that's only true because Sam's fortune is divided up amongst a bunch of different family members. You put them together, they dwarf Bill Gates. 
Sam Walton did this. How did he do it? What people underestimated is that this guy could go to 4,400 stores, do 250 billion. Where's Kmart today? And they've been shrinking. All of them have been shrinking. And he's the dominant force on earth. Here's the thing he understood. Resources are interesting, but the ultimate resources are the feelings of emotion that make you resourceful. Think of it this way. Resourcefulness is the ultimate resource. What do I mean? What are the emotions that make all this possible? What's the fuel that takes an idea from being in your head where you intellectually know what to do? How many have had an idea, for example, was a great idea, you're excited about it, and then you didn't do anything. One day, there you saw it on the shelf, you saw it somewhere, someone stole your idea. How many have had this happen? Say, I. <laughs> the only difference between you and that person was not that they had more resources, they were more resourceful. Success and failure are not giant events. They don't just show up. You don't just suddenly become successful or suddenly have this cataclysmic event that makes you fail. It may look that way, but failure comes from all the little things. It's failure to make the call. It's failure to check the books. It's failure to say, I'm sorry. It's failure to push yourself to do things physically that you don't want to do. And all those little failures day after day come together until one day some cataclysmic event happens and you blame that. That event happened because you missed all the little stuff. Do you agree with me? And success, by the way, is not some overnight event. It's all these little things. Success is having a vision. Success is making it compelling. Success is really seeing it and feeling it every day with strong enough reasons. Success is feeling the sense that I'm here to grow and I'm here to give something to the world more than just myself. All the little stuff. That's where success comes from. In business, it comes from delivering more than anybody could imagine. All those little things add up. People go, wow, that's who I want to do business with. It's true in any area of your life. Leverage is critical. You know how I get so much done? Because I don't just get it done. I know the outcome, I know the purpose, and I look for leverage. Leverage is different than delegation. What's the problem with delegation? Delegation is you have all that needs to be done, so you give it to someone else, and you tell them what needs to be done, and when they don't do it, you're pissed off. Leverage says, I can move the biggest boulder in the world with a little bit of effort, if I got something I can do it with, but I'm still part of it. So leverage is, if I'm going to leverage something here with Tom, I'm going to make sure Tom understands the what? The outcome. I want to make sure Tom understands the, the purpose, the why, and the action. But I might say to Tom, if you can get this done without this action or better action, go for it, baby. And I want to talk to you on this date, and we've got to promise that we're going to check in before it's needed. So there's no surprises. If you're having problems, Tom, come back to me because we're partners on this. That I call leverage. And you know what I do when I have no time? There is time. I just got to leverage it. You know you say, I have no one to leverage it to. You know, Shane over here, right? I got all the stuff he wants to do. He can't leverage it. But Shane's answer was, hire somebody. Then he thinks about what it's going to take and goes, $125,000. Can't do that now. He's getting caught up in one way to get the outcome. Leverage. He goes through his list and goes, what if I got somebody to do 20% of this stuff? I, got, I could spend 20 grand to get that much freedom. I could pay for it times 10. Hmm. And if I'm really productive, my productivity should enhance the world, not only my clients and customers, but it should provide jobs for other people. And if there's anything you hate to do, it's because you're either ineffective at it or you don't think it's very important, but it is urgent. So you need to hire somebody for those things. And ideally, somebody who loves that job. You're never going to grow when your time is eaten up for activities that aren't that important. Activity without high levels of purpose is the drain of your fortune. Do it now. If you can't get it all now, do a part of it now.
Leverage is power. Leverage is ultimate power. Here's what I've created for my life and anyone I know succeeded. I'm a 17-year-old kid from Azusa, California, with no real education other than self-education, with no background, with parents that did their best, all of them, with no money, but I did one thing. I loved people, and I had an enormous demand I made upon myself, and I sculpted my mind and my emotions to get me to do whatever it would take to achieve and to contribute. But to do that, I did it by using my body and changing my focus. I did it by putting myself in a peak physiology and using what I call incantations. Can you train yourself to believe something, yes or no? Absolutely. How many of you have ever made the fatal mistake of going to Disneyland or Disney World, and while you're there made the fatal mistake of going to a ride called It's a Small World After All? What happens for about a week after you're out of that damn place? You're still singing this thing in your head in 24 languages, right? Well, let me tell you something. How many of you have things when you want to go achieve them and this part of your voice goes, oh, it's not going to happen or forget it? How many got a voice that sometimes interrupts that good pattern? Say, I. And what you want to do is train a new one. So starting when I was 17, I started doing incantations, not affirmations. Affirmation, you go, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. What's the problem? You haven't changed your what? Your what? Physiology. If you don't change your physiology, you won't get anything. So an incantation is not only you speak it, but you embody what you're saying with all the intensity you can. And you do it with enough repetitions that it sticks in your head. Like it's a small world, now the conversation in your head is always the same and it gives you what you want. So you use your body and your voice. So 17 years ago, I started doing things. I was working for Jim Rome, this speaker, and I was 17 years old. I had long hair, minestrone soup, acne on my face. And I was trying to call on Bear Stearns type of people and convince them why they should go to this man's seminar and be more successful. I was driving a 1968 Volkswagen that I had earned at $40 a week as a janitor. The only way I did it was park far from the building and then go in and I love people and I believe but I put myself in state and I was able to influence people that were far more successful than I was at the time. I would do something that I still do backstage and have done for 23 years because I don't hope I'm going to be in a good state. I demand it. So I do an incantation using my whole body. I'd say, I now command my subconscious mind to direct me in helping as many people as possible today to better their lives by giving me the strength, the emotion, the persuasion, the humor, the brevity, whatever it takes to show these people and get these people to change their lives now. And I would do that literally driving in my Volkswagen to a meeting in L.A. on the freeway for 40 minutes. People are looking at me. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. They're going, I know he's a serial killer. I know he is. But by the time I entered that room, when two people meet, if there's rapport, the person who's most certain will always influence the other person. And I was totally certain, and they were trying to get revved up to certainty. Do you agree with this, yes or no? I do another one because I was poor. I changed my mindset. I kept doing things, but I never got beyond it. I'd say God's wealth is circulating in my life. His wealth flows to me in avalanches of abundance. All my needs, desires, and goals are met instantaneously by infinite intelligence. For I'm one with God and God is everything. And I would imagine the abundance of my life and I would feel so grateful. And a year later I went from making $38,000 a year to making a million dollars a year in one year. Thank you so much for watching. I made this video because Subash Limbu and my cameraman... We actually met as a result of the business. And when we first got married, she had a job as a waitress. I was working in the family business. My dad had a retail shoe store that I became a part of.
Hey, podcast family, welcome to the John Maxwell Leadership Podcast, the podcast that adds value to leaders who will multiply value to others. My name is Mark Cole, and I'm excited today because we're going to talk about something that everyone has, but everyone wants more of it, and that's influence. See, John Maxwell says that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And if you're going to lead others, you need to gain influence every single day. So today, John's going to begin this two-part series on how to gain more influence. Then I and my co-host, Chris Gody will be back to discuss John's lesson and offer some ways, some ideas, some experiences in which we have had so that you can apply these principles to your own leadership. As always, we have a free fill-in-the-blank worksheet that we call our bonus resource. If you would like to fill this out as you listen to John, please go to maxwellpodcast.com forward slash gain. Click the bonus resource button and then follow along with John. Now here is John C. Maxwell. Let me ask you a question before I start this. How many of you would like to gain influence in your life, huh? In the lives of others. Okay, have you got this? Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out almost in sequential, in a sequential pattern, how to gain influencers by sharing with you how influencers influence people. And we're going to take the, we're going to take the word influence and I'm going to take each one of those letters and I'm going to build off of it. For example, the letter I. Are you ready? Here we go. An influencer has the letter I, integrity with people. Now, you see, the reason I'm building the lesson the way that I am off of each letter is by the time I'm done, you will be able to know all ten points without ever looking back at your notes because each letter will represent the next point. And an influencer has integrity with people. Emerson was right. If we live truly, we shall truly live. I just recently read an article where they interviewed 1,300 executives of which they asked the executives to list five things that they expected in people that were going up the ladder in their company. Interestingly enough, in all 1,300 of them, integrity was in all 1,300 of them. In other words, I mean, they did this all across the country, and they said, give me five, and in that five somewhere, integrity was in there. In other words, every executive says, you've got to have integrity, or you're never going to climb this ladder. Now, watch this. What's really interesting is, it was in the top five with 100% of the 1,300 executives. Watch this. 71% of them, listed at number one. 71% of the executives across America said the number one issue of anybody that's going to climb this ladder is the issue of integrity. That's why I have in your notes, do you see it? In the business world, it's acceptable to make mistakes, to lay eggs. <laughs> Big ones, I've majored in those. But the Center for Creative Research in a significant study learned that one thing that sounds the death knell for those who aspire to the top rung of the ladder is betraying a trust. Virtually anything else can be overcome over a period of time, but once trust is betrayed, moving to the top of the ladder is out of the question. It is always easy to do right when you know ahead of time what you stand for. I want you to write that in your notes somewhere, would you please? It is always easy to do right when you know ahead of time what you stand for. In other words, integrity is not an issue that puts pressure on us in a crisis if we already settled the issue before the crisis. The only time we have 
pressure on an integrity issue is when we never settled the issue before the crisis came. I'll read it again. It is always easy to do right when you know ahead of time what you stand for. That is so key. In other words, integrity, a lot of times I've heard people tell me, they say, John, uh, a crisis makes the character. No, it doesn't. It just reveals the character. Character's already made. I don't know what you are, but I'll tell you whatever you are, you already are. And when the old pressure comes and it hits you, I promise you what will squeeze out of you is what you already determined before that crisis ever came. Integrity, number one of all influencers. The letter N in the word integrity, or in, in influence, well, it's also an integrity, come to think about it. The letter N in the word influence stands for an influencer nurtures people. Let's talk about nurturing for a moment. Influencers have the ability to nurture others. The length and breadth of our influence upon others depends on the depth of our concern for others. I want you to know, many leaders love their position more than their people. And when that happens, leaders soon lose their position. Because you know what happens? The people can tell if you really love them or not. Charles Bukowski was exactly right. Of course it's possible to love a human being if you don't know them too long. Huh? Huh? And haven't we seen that? What Charlie Brown said is, uh, you know, I love, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> or or, or I, I, read, I heard this the other day of a, of a mother who said, I just took my parents back to the airport. They had been vis- visiting me for a few days. I just dropped them off the airport. She said, they leave tomorrow. <laughs> 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 or, 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 or when Narvaez, the, the, the Spanish patriot, was let, he was dying, the father confessor came in to Narvaez and, and asked him this question about you know, his relationships. And he said, have you forgiven all of your enemies? And he looked kind of astonished. He said, oh, father, he said, I, I have no enemies. He said, I have shot them all. <laughs> already, already wiped them out. Already wiped them out. Nurturing, note this, few leaders love their people more than their position, and when that happens, leaders strengthen their position. Notes on nurturing, letter A. Nurturing people does not mean needing people. So when I talk about a nurturing atmosphere of a leader, I'm not talking about you need them, you have to have, that's codependency, that's unhealthy. And I've said many times, you've heard me say this, you can't lead people if you need people. Okay, Number or letter B. Nurturing people does mean commitment to people. What nurturing means is, not that I need them, but that I'm committed to them. And love will find a way, but indifference will always find an excuse in relationships. Always has, always will. Letter C. Nurturing people does mean loving people. Nurturing people does mean loving people. Henry Drummond. You will find as you look back upon your life that the moments when you have really lived are the moments when you have done things in a spirit of love. And letter D, nurturing people does mean lifting people to a higher level. Now that's what I'm speaking about nurturing, an atmosphere that allows people to grow. Influencers, we've learned two things about an influencer. An influencer does two things. One, has integrity of people. Number two, nurtures people. Okay, you ready for the F? An influencer has faith in people. An influencer has faith in people. They have a high belief system in the people that are around them. Every man is entitled to be valued at his very best moments. I learned a long time ago, assets make things possible and people make things happen. And you can have all the assets in the world, but if you don't have the people around you and the belief in them, then you're going to be in trouble. 
Okay. In leading others, there are three feelings that we cannot possess. One is fear, two is dislike, and three is contempt. If we are afraid of people, we cannot handle them. If we dislike people, we shouldn't lead them. And if we look down on people, we will not respect them. How true, how true that is. Les Giblin, an authority on human relations, says that our actions must be genuine. You can't make the other fellow feel important in your presence if you secretly feel that he's a nobody. Now let's talk about that for just a second, because what I find is a lot of people come to me, and because they're not good on the inside, they're not right on the inside, they have uh, results that they don't care for and that kind of confound them. They'll come to me and they'll say, John, I'm doing this, I mean, I'm going through these motions or I'm taking these actions, and yet I'm not getting the outcome. Here's what I usually find. If you're doing things right on the outside, but you're not getting the right results, it's because there's something wrong on the inside. And what you're doing is you're sending signals to people that are not, that are not backing your words. And they can read it. They can, intuitively, they can intuitively feel it. And they know when you really are sincere. And they know when you're, you're you know, like the expression that I hate is fake it till you make it. Uh, you know, but what I say is let be remade. You know, I mean, quit faking it. Uh, because what happens is that's where we lack not only integrity, but that's what also happens is people can tell when you really do believe in them. There's a, there's a, a whole new level that people rise to once they understand that you truly do believe in them. And I have found in my life that the reason I get such good positive results from people is because I, have, I, I, just, I believe people have great value. I respect them highly. I believe that they want to contribute to life. And it, they can just read that in me. They can, it just bleeds through. And, and so therefore, they respond accordingly. So, so that's why we've got to always go on the inside. Remember this. Whenever there are outside problems, it's because there's something on the inside that's not right. And it's always an inside issue. It's very, very seldom an outside issue. I learned a long time ago, you get the inside right, the outside comes out fine. But the inside has to be right. And faith in people, true faith and belief in people, is one of the real uh, essentials in influencing. Okay, the letter L. An influencer listens to people. And I want to talk to you a little bit about listening because it's so key in, um, in, in leadership and influence. Uh, Paul Tielek said that the first duty of love is to listen. So th this is some good stuff on listening. And in your notes here, I have a quiz for you to take. Are you a good listener? Number one, do I allow the speaker to finish without interrupting? Just go ahead and help yourself. Number two, do I listen between the lines for the subtext? In other words, for what really they're saying. Number three, do I actively try to retain important facts? Number four, when writing a message, do I listen for and set down the key facts and phrases? Number five, do I repeat the details of the interview to the subject in order to get everything right? Number six, do I avoid getting hostile or agitated when I disagree with the speaker? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask for scores. I, I can tell some of you are already uh, breaking the records. Number seven, do I tune out distractions when listening? Or maybe a better way to put that, am I a distraction when listening? <laughs> Number eight, do I make an effort to seem interested in what the other person is saying? Those are good questions, aren't they? Eight of them. Just kind of help you on your listening checkup. Okay, good stuff. 
Hey, welcome back. I, as John was teaching today, I, I thought of Ken Blanchard's quote. He says, the key to successful leadership today is influence, not authority. And so today, uh, Chris, as you and I get to unpack this powerful word that John has really popularized in yeah. his definition of leadership. That's leadership right. is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And here we are now. John's going to take us on a two-week journey on the acrostic of influence. And uh, I, I tell you, just in the first four points, I'm sitting here and going, man, I've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. I've been with John for 21 years, but I've got a lot of work to do. And here we go. That's what the point of the podcast That's is, it, right? Like, I, I think you and I probably learn as much as some of our listeners out there do by just going through this together with our, with our yeah. team and uh, this content. The first thing I thought about is, you know, I'm extremely passionate about the five levels of leadership is what we call it now. But back when John created it in Developing the Leader Within You, the chapter was, or the model was, the five levels of influence. Yeah. And as I thought about what he was talking about right here, there's so many competencies that fit into that model. And uh, I, as well as you, were like, I got, I got, some, I got some work to do. The, fir- yeah. the first thing I want to talk about is, as we jump in, is uh, I hope you, maybe if you're, not, if you're driving, don't, don't do it while you're driving, but I hope you go back and listen and write down what John said, which was, it's always easy to do right ahead of time when you know what you stand for. And we're going to yeah. jump in and talk about this first one in integrity. And I wrote that down as I was sitting here and we were listening to it because I think you and I have seen, and many people that are listening have seen uh, many leaders that don't have integrity, that have incredible talent kind of kind of fizzle out. And John even says, man, 71% of the executives uh, in a survey said, man, one of the biggest issues of climbing the ladder is, is having integrity if you want to do it. And then if you're if you're going to fall short, it's because you don't have integrity. Man, you've seen a lot of leaders, organizations around the world with John, but also internally. Talk a little bit about the importance of that word for you in leadership and even in your leaders and what that looks like around the John Maxwell enterprise. So I love this, and truly we could forget that John covered three other points, and we, we could. could camp out right here on integrity. I think it's so important. And most of you in podcast land know I've had two great opportunities to work for two great leaders, my father yeah. and then John Maxwell, and kind of was tasked or, or picked to carry the legacy of both. And one, I focused a lot more on external leadership, image, what people thought of me in my younger attempt to lead, and then more importantly, recently, to focus on the mm. inside. And I'll come back to that because I have a resource I want to point everybody to in just a moment. But um, I'm sitting here with integrity, and I do think it comes into having the foresight of knowing what you want to be known for and then leading to that point. Good point, yeah. Now, you mentioned that. You and I love sports. We're not big Tom Brady fans, but that's another conversation. Recently in the playoffs, I was uh, watching Tom Brady, the, the Buccaneers, pick apart yet another team. I won't say them for some of our fan, uh, friends and podcast family from that city. But the commentators were talking about they had an interview that day, that week, with Tom Brady, and he said, I, never, I always know where I'm going to throw the ball before I touch it. Mm. So he previews the defense. He knows the game plan of what he called in the huddle. So he good. may make some adjustments, but he already knows where he's going with the ball before he says hike and the, ca- the, the center puts it in his hands. 
Now, let's take that analogy from one of the greatest, if not the greatest. <laughs> yes, you heard me say that. One of the greatest in his profession of football. He knows where he's going to throw it before he touches the ball. What if we as leaders mm. knew what kind of leader we wanted to be before we started leading yeah. and as we started leading? Yeah. Before we caught the ball, got the ball from, for the next assignment, what if we already envisioned the integrity with which we wanted to lead and how we wanted to be perceived. Yeah. So coming back to that, Chris, for me, again, two opportunities to lead. It's been a much more sustainable and less pressurized journey to know how I wanted to lead from the inside on this second opportunity than it was on the first opportunity where I was figuring it out as we go. There was no integrity on the first one. It is trying to build it completely on integrity, the second one. So how does a leader do that? I'll take you to a book that I read before my first opportunity and a book I read before my second opportunity. It's the first John Maxwell book that I read. Happened to have it with me in the studio today, which is Developing the Leader Within You. This is, in my opinion... We all have our favorites out of John's 86 books. In my opinion, this is the most impacting book of any leader that is taking on a new assignment. And in my opinion, this book is all about the inside of leadership, the inside of a leader, and therefore it's about integrity. And uh, I, I just couldn't pass this up by looking at all of you at the beginning of 2022 and saying, when is the last time you've read this book? Yeah. And if you haven't read this book, to go, What? You don't even know John Maxwell if you haven't read this book, because really developing the leader within you 2.0 is one of John's favorite books. And Chris, as you know, we have a digital product uh, along this book. It's John teaching 10 lessons, 15 to 20 minutes, fill in the blank notes. It's it's stuff you can pass on to your team. It's a digital product. And Jake, I want to I want to give them a discount to take advantage of that. We'll give you a 20% discount, Jake, make that happen. And uh, you can go to uh the show notes and we'll have the link there and when you go to that link, uh obviously put in the keyword podcast and we'll give you a 20% discount. But again, back to this idea of integrity. I really do believe. I'm so glad John started with yeah. this because again, I started this is my first Maxwell book. I read it. I consumed it. I loved it. Forgot about it. And this time, Chris, I read this, if not once every year, once every two years. Mm. I consume it. I teach from it all the time. And the person that I teach the most about this content is myself. I love it. Because it's who we are. Yeah. And and if you're unfamiliar with the five levels of influence I mentioned, man, it is in the first chapter of that book right there. And as Mark Mark mentioned, as you begin to think about your leadership journey and, and where you want to go, uh, not only personally, but even just professionally in the organization, man, that integrity has got to be there. And, and I love what you talked about with uh, Tom Brady, which <clears throat> for both of us and some of our team members is not sitting well for us to talk about this on a podcast. But the, the problems that, in, that he encounters after the snap of the ball do not matter to him. No. Because if you have integrity, you're equipped – uh, for the challenges of head, ahead, you've already you know the decisions you're going to make, and leaders we're going to face challenges. Yeah. We know that we've all been through 24 months of challenges. Uh, there there have been 
challenges before that. There will be challenges ahead of us. Let me so say we one more thing on that. that because we talked about sports. We're obviously in a leadership podcast, business podcast. Um, John tells the story of one of the most scariest times he's ever traveled on a plane. And he got down, and right as they were landing, the wind shear hit. That's happened to a lot of us. I, I can tell you my one or two times of losing everything I had uh, <laughs> it, in an experience like that. He said that plane popped on the ground because the wind shear popped it, and yeah. immediately that pilot pulled it back up. When they got off, he hugged the pilot, and he said, Man, how did you figure out? How did you know? When did you make the decision to pull that back up? He said, oh, I made that decision 20 years ago. In training, I learned over and over again, when shear hits, it's safer for a plane in the air than on the ground in a bunch of un- chaotic so wind. Good. And so we as leaders, hey, make the decision today what you're going to do in the next challenge. For us, 2020, infamous leading through covid we made a decision many, many years ago, we're going to value people. So when COVID hit, we made all of our decisions, not based on how many millions was at risk, how many millions could be lost, yeah. on how many lives could be impacted and added value to by making the decision this way or that way. And we made that decision a long time yeah. ago. So people say, man, when did you make the decision to cancel IMC, a $6 million risk decision that we made? Oh, we made that years ago when we decided we were going to add value to people. Yep, yep. You know, uh, before we move on real quick, because to your point, we could talk about this sure. first topic the whole time. One of the things I just, in addition to making decisions and solving problems, one of the things that John talked about in there, I don't want you to miss this, is that when you lead with integrity, you have that trust. And as we think about our engagement level in organizations, as we think about our teams being engaged, one of the things that um, really stands out to me is that, of team members say that their leader is why they're engaged, but the reason why they're engaged is because they trust their leader. The only way they're going to trust you, the only way we're going to trust each other, peer-to-peer leader, is that if we have integrity and and we live out that on a on yeah. a day to day basis. Yeah. Well, let me let me move on. There's a couple more points you and I talked about, and uh, that, that I just want to go into. John talks about an influencer nurtures people. Now, when we hear the word nurturing, um, we don't necessarily think of a leader right away, yeah. do we? Right? Yeah. This is uh, we use the word soft, and um, that that may come across to you as I don't want to be a nurturing leader. Um, it's not easy, by the way. It may be yeah. soft, but but it is not easy. And John goes on to say, man, it does mean a commitment to your people. It does mean loving your people. And I will tell you this, that as long as you and I have worked together and worked with John, there is no doubt that he nurtures as a leader to those that are on his team and, and, it, and in his influence. Talk a little bit about, from your perspective as a leader, the importance of that. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm air hashtagging right here, yeah. nurturing uh, of people. You got it. First of all, let me say this to all you podcast listeners. Yeah. You need to jump on YouTube <laughs> And and kind of check out the Maxwell Leadership Podcast. Google uh, Google or not Google it. YouTube search it, and you'll find us. You've got to see how nurturing it feels to see Chris go to use air air uh, in a air, in a pink shirt. But, it, pink but it's shirt. February. It's right? February. So we're, we're Happy Valentine's Day right. to you, Chris. Right. So so yeah. So this is nor I, this has been more pronounced to me mm. in John Maxwell's leadership over the last two or three years than at any other time. I, I wouldn't have started 21 years ago and said, man, that John Maxwell, he's a nurturing leader. Right. Now, he's always been a valuing people, loves everybody. Everybody feels welcome. You're not, you don't work for me. You work with me. He, he says nurturing things 
in his sleep. I mean, he's just great at it. But it has really become obvious to me, Chris, over the last three years when he first found his word for the year to be mm. father. Mm. And there is this pride. John wrote me a card over the holidays. He, In his year-end review, he kind of writes cards based on impact moments that he had. He then pulls out a note card right in the impact moment and writes a thank you note. It's a brilliant idea I'm going to teach on it in a podcast because I'm going to steal it because yeah, it's a great idea. I got one of those, and I just opened it this weekend, been traveling, just opened my mail, and had this thing from John, and he said, my most proud thing I've done this year is to watch you do your thing. Mm. He said, of all the things that we've accomplished, and this was 2021 was a great year for all of us, Chris, including you and your team. He said, of all the things I'm proud of, of all the things that just made me swell with pride and thanksgiving, it was watching you mm. lead to the next level. Now, I don't believe those were just nice words. I think that was the nurturing yeah. father yeah. side of John Maxwell. This was real pronounced to me just a, an hour before walking in the studio. John and I are doing a consulting um, arrangement with a group from Mexico, Zifra. Powerful, powerful leaders. These, these young people are fired up. And they're asking these questions of John and I. And, and, and John's going to throw one or two of them my way, and so I'm ready. And, and I go gangbusters with my answers. I mean, I'm just like this, my, my YouTube family. I'm just like this. I mean, I'm fired up, ready to go. And John just kind of pauses, and there's this love and this thing, and you're going... Number one, his answers are always good. But number one, you don't even have to answer correctly. I just feel a warm embrace right now. <laughs> yeah, one was yeah. asking, how do I stop failing and disappointing people around me? Mm. And I've got three reasons and why passion is going to do it. And John just slows down. And it's less about his words mm. than it is about his demeanor. And leaders, if I could help That's you, so good. and I could help That's me, good. if I could help <laughs> me right here, if you will nurture with your persona, with your attitude, with your presentation, it'll go further and last longer than your wise, wise, passionate words. And I'm still learning that. I, I'm not a nurturing leader. I, I, I have this hard charge. If I can fire you up, we're going to get it done. Yeah. And John just goes, man, if I can make you believe in yourself, yeah. you're going to get it done. Yeah. And you know, when you were just talking about that, I was like, man, we're, I, I know that I'm tied. I tied that to a comment he made. And even in your show notes here, he says nurturing people does mean lifting people to a higher level, yeah. right? There's a lot of complexity yeah. that comes to lifting your people to a higher level. But even in just that illustration of him answering that question by slowing yeah. down and understanding, hey, you're probably not, you're not always going to get approval from people. You're not going to make them happy and then just talk through that from a demeanor. You lift people up. Yeah, and let me say this. In leadership, in leadership, in leadership, and I'm not talking to you as a mom over your family or a dad working through a troubled teen. I'm talking about in leadership, and that has elements of leadership. There's a big difference in nurturing and enabling. Yes. And many yes. leaders <laughs> feel like if I nurture, then I am enabling you or empowering yeah. you to less than. Yeah. And that's not true. Back yeah. to your quote of John. Nurturing is continuing to lift them to a higher level, yeah. but it's not kicking them in the butt to do it. It's lifting them from the heart totally to do agree. it. Totally agree. Hey, let me. one thing I thought about here as well, when, when John talks about that nurturing does mean loving people, one of the things that you and I are extremely excited about is our League of Extraordinary Leaders. Yeah. And Joel Mamby, uh, a powerful executive in, in the corporate world, uh, has actually partner, partnered with us and just done a, a, 
off of his book, a digital content called Love Works. And we went back and forth yeah. and we said, do we include that word in the title? And we said, man, absolutely we have to because that's just part of leading people. And so it's, uh, he puts together seven principles of better way to lead and to love your people. And so that's in the show notes. There's a link there. That's coming out in February. Again, and didn't you say there's like eight components that he that does? There's nine, nine. There's nine video sessions, but seven principles. Yep. Got to check it out. Um, it'll go along with my pink shirt hey, celebrating yeah, Valentine's happy Day. Happy Valentine's that's Day. Right. Love does work. Love works at work, and love will Ooh, work good. in your relationship. So so yeah. proud of that. Yeah. So thank you for thank you yeah, for mentioning absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, last point here, and we're going to wrap it up, but I, this is probably um, something I just we need to talk about before we wrap up. Um, we were talking right before we got on the air here, and uh, Jared Cagle, an incredible part of our team, was saying, hey, that whole nurturing and then John's last point of uh, to being able to listen to people, to gain influence or to be an influencer, mm-hmm. man, there's such a direct connection. And here's what I was thinking about. To validate his point was you just gave us an example of John sitting on that phone call when you guys are mentoring and consulting mm-hmm. with this organization. And, man, he's just sitting there listening, and he's soaking it all up. And he says in here, he gives us, um, I think there's eight questions to do a little self-assessment. By the way, uh, I don't know about you, but the longer we have led, the, the longer we've been around, uh, the more unaware we become of our listening skills. Now, um, if Stephanie and Sarah, our spouses, uh, were here, we would lose the mics right here, and we would talk a lot about them uh, knowing that we hear them. We don't really listen to them. We would actually but, have a technical glitch because Jake would Jake help would us out off. right here and cut it off. Yeah, but I, I, I just want to get transparent here for a minute, and, yep. and I want to say, man, these questions are powerful. And we, you and I admitted that we learned a lot from these lessons from John, even in our leadership and being around for John over 20 years. Um, there's eight here. I have an answer of which one I struggle with the most, but I'd love to hear from you. When you look through this, I want you to talk a little bit about the two that you struggle with and why. So only two? Yeah, Yeah. only because you and I narrowed them down from eight to six, and I got to the two. Probably, Chris, as I look at the eight, um, and there really are several that that we talked about uh, pre-recording, but um, do I repeat? It's number five in the list in your show notes. And again, let me challenge all of you watching or listening. You want to go get these show notes that our team prepares for you. It'll help you consume the content better. It'll help you share the content with others. But number five in the notes says, do I repeat the details of an interview or a conversation in order to get everything right? And I can tell you, I that's not even 25% of the time. One in four times, I'm not sitting here repeating it to make sure I got it because it seems like such a waste of time. We're adults. Number one, I feel like I insult your intelligence if I go, now what I heard <laughs> Active listening like we all is, learned, right? Yeah, yeah and we've yeah. heard active listening, but in a professional yes. setting yeah. and all that, and even in a personal setting, back to if Sarah and Stephanie were here. <laughs> um, but But I really don't do that. And I don't do that well, and what happens many, many times is I am responding to my interpretation, not to their intention. That's good. And I I really do challenge myself after listening to this and after you asking this question and us agreeing to have this vulnerable um, conversation here, I really do think that that repeating back before responding, my challenge is twofold. One is I think I... I insult your intelligence. Yeah. Two, I think that it wastes time, and I don't have much time. Right. Get on with it. But three, I think that um, 
I will forget my wonderful response on the fly. And I probably need to forget some of my wonderful responses <laughs> on the fly because half of them feel like they were on the fly. Yeah. And so I think by repeating it before I form an answer, because I'm telling you, halfway through your question, I'm already forming the answer right. to what I think yeah. you're saying. And every leader does that. And if you don't, you do too. Yeah, I'm just telling right. you. you not halfway it. through your question, I'm mm. forming my answer. And if I will wait to form my answer when I make sure that we are settled on your point or your question, I promise you my my response will be better, more relevant, and you will accept it more because I listened and yeah, repeated back. Yeah, the good. second one um, would be number six. Uh, do I avoid getting hostile or agitated when I disagree with the speaker? And I did that. I had to pick that one because you mentioned Stephanie being in the studio with me. Because <laughs> when, when I know that I know that I'm right, which is all the time, when I, when I am confident that I am right and I can't move people enough, it's not that I disrespect their answer, their position, or how much love I have for them. It's I disrespect how much time that it's going to take for us to get on the agreement. It's not fair. It's not right. It's terrible. It's confession time. I'm done. I need to go see my pastor or my priest, whatever. i got to go get some help right <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, Mark. We, got, we yeah. ran out of time. I can't share mine after that. So uh, we're good. No, I appreciate you sharing that because I think so many of us, each of these eight, right, if we're being honest with, with ourselves, we, we, need to, we need to go to work on these. And remember, we're talking about how do we gain influence. And John says, here's eight great questions around listening. For, re, for me, it's really the second one, which is do I listen between the lines for the subtext? Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'll, I'll take at face value what is being said. I'm very logical, kind of very concrete. And, and what are they trying to tell me? Am I listening in a way to be curious enough to understand their side of the, their perspective of where it's coming from? Because uh, we would probably communicate it a little bit differently, and I don't think I do a good enough job with that. And so Mark and I were just convicted by these questions, and so we wanted to share that with our listeners. Man, we're so grateful. I'm going to throw it back to you to let yeah. you wrap us up and, and finish today's lesson. Well, here's the standout statement that we want to leave you with today. The best way to influence people is to value them. And we're talking about influence, four points this week, six points next week. And we're really wanting to dig deeper into this concept. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So how do we influence? And the best way to influence is start by valuing people. Start by taking that moment. There's a, there's a very relevant episode that we've done uh, that I want to direct you to. It's in your show notes. It's called Your Influence Inventory. Do a checkup. Go back and listen to that podcast this week and do a checkup on how you're doing in your influence quotient and how you can grow that and, and become more influential. I'm reminded um, of a listener comment that we got. Um, this is incredible from Laura. Laura talked about the episode growth, goal conscious versus growth conscious. She said we can choose to go back towards safety or forward toward growth. Today, I choose to get better and grow in every area of my life. Sustainable development is the pathway to the future we want for all. So today, I will start reading my book, Small Wins, Small Steps, Help Us Achieve Our Goals. Let's focus on growth and everything else will fall in place. If you know Laura, and she's a listener to the podcast, ask her if she's still reading that book. Thank you, Laura. 
Thank all of you. Hey, uh, Chris, can't wait for next week. I love this journey of influence. I love this journey of leadership. We love, it's Valentine's Day, so there's a lot of love. We love all of you that watch us on YouTube, all of us that listen. And we love you even more, if that's possible. We love you even more when you send us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. We love you even more when you forward this podcast to others so that they too can be impacted. Until next week, let's listen, let's learn, let's love, then let's leave. Welcome to Choose Greatness. This is your opportunity to learn principles and techniques that will make an immediate difference in your life and the life of your family. We had a wonderful time on our opening show uh, getting to know each other. And I was very excited about the opportunity for you to know who I am and why I'm doing this. If you're new to the show, I'll give you just a brief, brief introduction. Uh, This is a program designed and dedicated to help you learn the principles of godly greatness. God wants to expand your life. God wants to elevate your experience. God doesn't want you struggling, crawling, desperate, surviving, just trying to hang on. God wants you to have a life of abundance. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, most of you know that verse already. And most of you know that the Greek word for abundant is a very exciting word. It actually means life overflowing outside the boundaries and outside the constraints. So this is your opportunity to learn what abundant living looks like. As those of you who met me on the opening show know, uh, I've spent the last 20 years of my life as a Christian motivational speaker. After my five years as the preaching assistant at First Baptist Church Atlanta with Dr. Charles Stanley, I then moved, as God called me, into the world of corporate training and business Uh, advancement. I did leadership seminars all over the world, 8 million people uh, in uh, different seminars in different countries. My biggest client the last 20 years has been the Amway Corporation, and I've had a phenomenal relationship with them. They are led by uh, godly families with a genuine commitment to Christ, and they've opened wonderful doors for me to communicate with millions of people. Well, I learned something during that experience. I learned that there are people everywhere in every country who hunger for great They want a better life. They don't want to live a life that is just filled with boredom and distress and anxiety. They don't want to just hang on hopefully from day to day. They want something that will be genuinely exciting. They want an adventure. Well, I believe God wants you to have that adventure. And there are reasons that can happen, and that's the purpose of this show. When I call this show Choose Greatness, that's on purpose. Greatness is a word I know you understand, but what about the word choose? Well, that's the word I want to focus on right now. How do you choose greatness? Well, you begin by making a decision, and this is 
fundamental, basic, this is non-negotiable. If you want a great life, I don't care who you are or what your personal circumstances are today, if you want a better life, even a great life, you have to make this first decision. You have to choose to be the hero of your own life and not ever, ever a victim. When I was 10 years old, my father informed me that we were going to move to a different community. I was um, uh, just a child, as I said, I was only 10 years old, and we moved in the middle of the school year. Can you imagine what that was like for me? I, I was in a small Kentucky community where I knew everyone, where I had cousins everywhere, where we all ate together. I'd go eat at home, and we'd have 30 people for dinner, just cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. I grew in that, that extended family situation that was a, a great place of warmth and safety and security for me. And here in the middle of the school year, my dad says, we're going to move to Huntington, West Virginia. I have a new job. We have to go. So I'm an only child. So it was my mom, my dad, my dog, and me. I had a great dog, by the way, half collie, half husky. And he slept in my room. I felt very safe. So we moved in the middle of the school year. So in January, Christmas, New Year's, all done. In January, I go to my new school. Now, remember, I'm only a child. I'm 10 years old. And I went into the school. And I got there early because I wanted to meet people. Now, I'd grown up in an environment where everybody loved me, so I was very comfortable. And I, I expected everybody there to love me or at least like me. And the teacher met me at the door. And uh, the other students weren't there yet. I was a few minutes early. It was a homeroom situation. The teacher came over and said, well, I want you to introduce yourself to the class. Will you do that? And I said, yes, ma'am. I'll do that. I'll be happy to do that. So I waited very, you know, a little, little, little bit of anxiety. I was waiting, a little flutter in my stomach. And I was only 10, but I thought, well, this will be great. This will be cool. I'll, I'll be able to make new friends. So the bell rang. Everybody came trooping in. I'm sitting in a desk at the very front. Teacher motions to me, and I stand up. So this was my moment. And I spoke for, I don't know, a minute or two, and I said how happy I was to be there, and, and, and I was uh, so happy to be in that school, and I hope we'd be friends. And then I noticed that nobody was listening to me. Nobody. Everybody was watching the teacher who was sitting at her desk laughing uncontrollably. And everyone then became totally quiet. The teacher stood up. She was still laughing. And with some difficulty, she made her way over to where I was standing all alone. And remember, I'm only a child. I'm 10 years old. And I don't know anybody in that school. I'm brand new. The teacher walked over to me, put her hand on my shoulder. And the teacher, the teacher said, class, I'm glad Ronnie, as she called me, I'm glad Ronnie said something this morning. Because I wanted all of you to hear what a dumb, hick kid from Kentucky sounds like. And she started to laugh at me again. Now, the class was as embarrassed as I was. Nobody knew what to do. It was very awkward. And the teacher, laughing still, returned to her desk, and then we all got involved in the day. But I remember sitting there. I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. No one had ever called me a dumb, hick kid before. I didn't even know what that felt like. It, this was a new experience for me. I was burning with shame. But then something happened. I was 10 years old, but something snapped inside of me. I remember it to this day. And a fire, 
a fire began to burn in my heart. And suddenly it blazed to life. I believe God put it there. I believe it to this day. And something was aroused. Something awakened in me. And I thought, I will be the best student in this school. I will become the best at everything. I will explode with excellence. I'll make every sports team. I will become the best in every class. I decided to ignore that teacher's negative attack. I decided to dismiss the shame and embarrassment. I decided to not give in to the feeling of humiliation. I decided to do something great. And that year I did. I became the head of every class. I made every sports team. I reached the top of every opportunity. And I did it for the year. Made all kinds of friends. Had a great year. And then my dad got a job back home and we went back to Kentucky. But I never forgot the lessons of that year. Now here's what I want you to see. When I told you a moment ago, when I mentioned this to you, I told you to never be a victim. You remember I said that? Don't be a victim. Well, that's what I could have done at 10 years of age. I was only a child, defenseless before that teacher. But something inside of me, and I believe, thank you, Lord, it was God's grace, something awakened in me, something caught fire, but God did it, and did not let me be a victim. I want you to hear what I'm saying. A number of years ago, I accessed some remarkable research. Dr. Jill, uh, not doctor, I'm sorry, she's not a doctor. I don't want to give her a degree she didn't earn. Jillian Strauss was the assistant program director for the Oprah Winfrey Show. And I accessed some of her documented research for that show. When she was 27 years old, now here is a young, politically liberal Jewish woman from Brooklyn, New York. And she decided to find out what her generational group was like. So she took a leave of absence from the Oprah Winfrey show. And she decided to travel all over the United States. And she interviewed young men and young women under the age of 35, her own demographic, in every major metropolitan area in the United States. And she asked them one question. What are you like as a person? Tell me. And then she had other questions that she developed. And she eventually put together 200 pages of notes from those interviews, and I read her information. I accessed it, I read it, I saw it. I didn't just get this secondhand, I saw her data myself. Jillian Strauss said that she realized that her generational group from about 25 to 35 had become part of a cult. Now, when she said that, I thought, what is this Jewish woman, what's she saying? What does she mean? Here's what she meant. She said they've all become absorbed in what she called the cult of I. It's all about them. She said everything was so self-absorbed, self-focused, self-centered. She said everything, even their dating, their relationships, everything was me, me, me. How is this for me? How, would this job do a good job for me? She said there was never an attitude of service. There was never an attitude of giving. There was never an attitude of generosity. Everything was basically just focused on their needs, their agenda, their selfishness. Now, when I read that, I thought, is this true? And just two months after that, now, this is amazing. I, I, I'm, you're going to love this. Two months after that, my wife, Amy, and I are sitting in a restaurant 
in a major city, beautiful restaurant, a fairly expensive restaurant, and uh, it had been highly recommended, and I thought, well, you know, I'll pay a little extra, and we'll see what this is going to be like. Well, at the end of the meal, I asked the waitress, the server, a young woman, maybe 22 years of age, I asked her to recommend a chocolate dessert. Now, I'm a great chocolate fanatic. I mean, I think chocolate is probably its own food group. I just am nuts about chocolate. And uh, all over the world, I'm Belgian chocolate. Everywhere I go, I try to get great local chocolate. So I asked her, what is your best chocolate dessert? Are you ready for this? Do you know what she said to me? She lectured me, lectured me for almost three minutes on why she did not like chocolate. If I were her boss, I would have fired her because she was actually costing the restaurant money, the restaurant that paid her salary. And she was costing a higher tip for me because she was discouraging me from ordering the dessert that I wanted. Now, I'm not rude. I'm not, I'm not like bad to people. I mean, I grew up in a little Kentucky community where everybody was nice to everybody. I'm just not like that. But I'll have to be honest, I didn't care what her opinion of chocolate was at that moment. I just wanted chocolate. I wanted my dessert. You see, that young woman, her attitude was centered on herself. Everything was about her, about her opinion about chocolate, her attitude toward chocolate, whether she liked it or not. What did it matter whether she liked chocolate? All that mattered was that I was a guest in the restaurant and I wanted chocolate. She didn't see that. She was so self-focused. So I realized what Jillian Strauss was talking about, the cult of I, the cult of I. I don't know if any of your kids are like this. I mean, there's such an enormous epidemic of entitlement. It's everywhere. Now, this program is called Choose Greatness. Well, I want to ask you a question. How in the world, how in the world can you have a great life if you're that selfish? If you're always thinking about you, 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 me, 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 if it's all about you, I mean, this will affect your dating relationships. This will affect your personal friendships. This will affect your work uh, on the job. This will affect everything, your attitude, if it's all self-centered and self-focused. I love a verse in the New Testament where Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. Now, that is the total opposite of this generational cult of I. So if you want to be great, the first thing you have to learn is not to be a victim, not to make everything about yourself, not to make everything about your feelings. We're living in a therapeutic age where everything has to be therapy, has to make you feel good about yourself. Now, I read about a man a few years ago, and I I used this man as an example in a lot of my corporate training seminars for millions of people, Amway and other companies, uh, Chick-fil-A, other companies I've spoken for. I've used this for many years. A young boy, this young man was, was 12 years old, and he lived in Scotland, and he wanted to go to America. This is a true story. He wanted to go to America. And... He had no money, no opportunity, big family, worked uh, uh, taking out trash for people. And he finally got a job that would give him enough money, if he was careful, for two years to get a ticket to America. If he was careful. You know what the job was? Cleaning toilets. I mean, cleaning filthy toilets. And for two years, he did that job. In later life, he commented on that experience. And you know what he said? He said, I hated every minute. I hated every moment, every second for two years. I hated my life. 
But all I could think of was, I'm going to America. I'm going to America. That's all I could think about. He said, I hated it for two years, but it drove me. And he said, I eventually came to the United States. And he said, when I got to New York City, when I got to New York, he said, I got an opportunity to work for a publishing house, running errands. And I liked publishing. And this young man eventually began to rise in that publishing company until he decided to start his own magazine. He decided to name the magazine after himself. Do you know what he named his magazine? His name was B.C. Forbes. So he named his magazine Forbes Magazine. The Forbes company is now worth billions of dollars because a boy in Scotland cleaned toilets for two years and didn't complain about it. Compare that young man to the people I meet today who are always complaining, always grumbling. It's too hard. It's too, everything will take too long. If they're disconnected from their phone for 20 minutes, they go nuts. They go crazy. I mean, where is the strength? Where is the robust guts that makes men and women do something great? Where's the pioneering spirit of America? That needs to be recovered. And that's why I'm saying that the theme of this particular program today is don't be a victim. Don't be a victim. Now, let, let, me, let me tell you something, okay? Let me tell you a story that my wife personally experienced. Now, this is something that, uh, that really moves my heart. My wife was in a beauty salon. She was, uh, and by the way, I... She, she was, I just want to get this from my heart to you. She was in a beauty salon, okay? And she was getting her hair done. And a woman walked in to help her. And she said, I'm sorry I'm late. I've got so many things to do. And she was doing my wife's hair. And then about 15 minutes later, the door burst open. And a 16-year-old girl came in angry, yelling, screaming, and it was her mother who was working on my wife's hair. Her mother. And this is what happened next. That girl said, life is not fair. Now, why wasn't life fair to her? She said, life is not fair, she said, because I want to buy a new car. And I can only get a job at McDonald's. She's 16 years old. She said, I can only get a job at McDonald's, and they won't pay me enough. They won't pay me enough to get my car. And then she started yelling and screaming again, and she said, it's just not fair. Now, wait a minute. She has no marketable skills. She has no training in business. She's 16 years old, has never held a job. She's not worth a lot of money to McDonald's. She hasn't earned that right. And yet she's saying life is not fair. You see, she had decided that she was going to be a victim that if she didn't have something, it was not fair. This is a contrast to the man or woman who chooses greatness. That's why I tell all of you that you have to be a hero of your life and not a victim. The moment you surrender to victimhood, well, let's just be honest, you're sunk at that moment. You're just sunk. You're going nowhere because you've already cut your own throat. You've already stopped your own progress. You've already smashed your own opportunity. Because if you're the victim, how can you ever rise to a higher level? 
But the moment you discard victimhood, the moment you move out of that way of thinking, then God can do something miraculous for you. Let me ask you a real honest question. I mean, think of your own life right now. Do you think it honors God for, for you to be a victim? Do you think it honors you as His child, His creation, for you to be a poor, pathetic victim, moaning, groaning through life? Think of that girl, 16 years old, bursting in. How did her mother feel? Here's her mother working very hard as a single mom to take care of that spoiled girl. How does that mom feel when she's embarrassed in front of her customers as her child walks in screaming, it's not fair, I can't get a car. How, how can you possibly feel in your heart how this woman feels? Can you imagine her struggle in front of her customers, her embarrassment? Can you imagine her reaction? Well, that's what Jillian Strauss means by the cult of I. And I'll say it to you again, if you want a great life, and I'm going to be teaching you a lot on this program about practical secrets of greatness. I'm, I'm coming to that. I'm getting to that. Uh, I'm coming to a show very soon where I'm going to talk about uh, money management, and you'll, you will love that program. I'm going to talk about great marriage. You will, you'll really love that program. I'm going to talk about how to rear great kids. You're going to go crazy over that program. But right now, remember this. For you personally, and your children, and your grandchildren, the fundamental principle is this. You can't be a victim. You can't live a sense of entitlement. You can't spend your time wanting somebody to rescue you or take care of you or, or just, just do something to, to pull you up. You have to take responsibility for your own life. Now, I didn't mention this on our first program, and we're just getting into this whole sequence of, of giving you information that I believe will make a powerful and positive difference in your life. I didn't mention this in the first show, but I'm going to mention it on this particular program. Uh, three years ago, I was asked by the leadership of Amway to put together a book, a simple book that would inspire people on how to be great. Well, the response to this book has been incredible. I wrote the book. It's very simple. It's very short. Uh, it's less than 100 pages. It's a book that is put together for people, honestly, who don't read. Now, that may not be you. I understand that. I, I get that. But it's a book made for people who are visual, who are uh, used to cell phones and, and videos and, and television and movies. It's a simple book that is very powerful. It's called Choose Greatness. And you're going to see on your screen how to order that copy at our website, choosegreatness.com. ChooseGreatness.com. And this book is powerful for another reason. It's filled with stories, filled with, with amazing stories, but it has principles that will turn your children around. It has principles that are so simple that I have hundreds of schools using it right now. Hundreds of school children are reading this book who are 10, 11, 12, 15 years of age. So I want to encourage you that if you want to know the principles of greatness, that you order a copy of this book today. Now, it's available as an e-book. That way you can download it instantly. Uh, it's also available um, as a physical copy if that's your preference. Uh, I mentioned this book recently on a TBN program, and we were flooded with response. made me happy because I want this message to go everywhere. But this book is so simple, and it's so readable, and it's so inspirational. It's so happy that 
it can follow up and teach you everything I'm teaching in this program. It will reinforce everything I'm telling you. In fact, we had a group in Washington, D.C., very politically liberal group that was struggling, a lot of them on welfare, and 30 of them read this book. And uh, I was very excited about this. One of the people working with them uh, corporately uh, got in touch with me two weeks later and said, Ron, everybody read the book and everybody's ready to get off welfare and get a job and build a great life. I mean, that made me so excited because they were willing to stretch for greatness and not be victims anymore. Well, what about you? You're not a victim. You're a child of God. You're not a victim. You're an heir to the kingdom of heaven. You're not a victim. You'll never be a victim. And that's why it is vital for you to choose greatness. You're going to be a better advertisement for the gospel when you live a better, greater life. So let me encourage you, get the book, Choose Greatness. Go to choosegreatness.com. You can see it on your screen. And this book will help you to grow, to learn. We have churches using this book as a study guide. Uh, we had um, uh, uh, dozens of pastors just contact us last week. Over 30 pastors just in a week wanting to order copies of that book uh, for a study group on greatness in their church. So uh, I hope you get, take advantage of that and I hope you uh, jump into that opportunity as well. Now, like I told you, we're going to be talking about greatness in every area of your life. Uh, I'm going to have a great time getting to know you. Uh, remember, choosegreatness.com. That's how you can connect with me because uh, that's the way uh, I can communicate with you and you can, uh, you can send me messages. You can uh, uh, communicate with me as well. So what is your decision today? Remember what I started with? You have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. And what is that decision? You're going to be a hero of your own life and never a victim. A hero of your own life and never a victim. And that's why this program is called Choose Greatness. If it were called greatness, well, that's good, but it's called Choose Greatness. And that means that is a decision, a choice, and a commitment that you personally make. God bless you. Choose greatness.
Somebody give me a microphone or a megaphone 
Poker 12 Hebrews News is here again, and we are working through formats and different ways of presenting the news, but one of the things we know for sure is we want to spread the good, good news. And there is always good news that we can find amongst all the bad news. And even when we look at bad news regarding, you know, how the election was handled the last time and, and all the corruption that we see, the good news is that it's getting exposed. The good news is people are starting to figure it out. The good news is, the good news is all those people who lied to us and said there was no corruption or there was nothing that happened that was bad actually was not true. It was very, very true. So we got some things, you know, regarding Zuckerberg, and, you know, I was right, and uh, it's all coming out now about Zuckerberg, Google, and everybody else, and more and more of the traditional media are starting to not protect those guys, but they're actually exposing them. And that's really good because evil prevails when good men and women sit back and do nothing. And if you want to call yourself a journalist, then you better get to it. You better start going after all that evil, all that bad. So we're here to tell you that we are here to fight. And what makes Trump and DeSantis and some of these heroes in the new Republican Party, the new Trump Republican Party, may I add, is that he taught Republicans that you can't sit back and be a wimp, but you actually got to stand up and fight for your rights. And we never see that Israel was ever told by Abba Yah to sit back and just take it. Uh, the turn the other cheek is a, under specific circumstance scripture, but it is not a threadbare scripture. There's a lot of times when eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is what Yah is going to want us to do. So we need to get over that mindset that Yeshua would never, you know, Yeshua did not want violence at the time when he was rising up as the Messiah because he had to be killed, he had to be murdered. That was part of Yah's plan. So in every situation it's different. Had the crucifixion never had to have to happen, then Kepha coming with the sword and chopping an ear off and, you know, going ahead and being willing to fight for the Messiah and fight for our faith, if the crucifixion wasn't necessary, if the blood sacrifice wasn't necessary, then surely, I'm sure, the opposite would have happened. There would have been a war. And we would have won that war um, for righteousness' sake. But what we did was we... We got a, a stronger weapon out of it to fight all future wars, which is the blood of Yahushua HaMashiach. So uh, give you a little idea. I got, you know, some very positive stories about fighting today and fighting back. And one of the things that I want to note to you guys is prophetically how often I'm starting to see that I was on the right side of things as I prayed for discernment to understand what was going on. I have Jonathan Kahn that's going to come out today 
on a version of Sid Roth's Supernatural. That's a 54-minute show, so bear with us. That'll be played a little later, but there is a lot that you'll be able to glean from this because this has been part of the messaging of what Scribe and I talked about uh, and, and we're pulling together under Blood of Jesus what was eventually going to become Love Ministries, Love Inc., uh, about 15 years ago already. We started getting our convictions about paganism. Now, Jonathan Kahn, what's really great is the fact that he's very highly respected by a lot of people out there in both Christianity and Judaism as a messianic. And in his prophetic, what he puts forth is how the paganism is going to really, really be the go-to religion of the United States. And we're really going to turn away from the Judaism and the uh, Christianity, uh, which, you know, is still religion and it's still wrong and we can punch holes in that all day long. But uh, I think it's noteworthy that we already seen this coming 15 years ago, which is why we became who we are with love for truth. So the good news is we were right. And, you know, I got a list of things that we've prayed over as a ministry, and we've been right, we've been right, we've been right, we've been right, we've been right. So I want you to know you are really getting, if you have a love for truth, when you listen to Hebrews News, you are really getting a truth perspective of the news. And that's good news because nobody wants to be lied to. So the opposite of that, which is so devastating and so sickening for so many of us, is stop lying to me, right? Stop lying to me, you father of lies person. You, you, are, you are of a wrong daddy, a wrong Abba. Your daddy is the father, the devil himself, because you follow and believe in the father of lies. And this exposure to that, which can come across very negative, is actually quite positive because the negative thing is if you are deceived. If you are deceived and have been deceived and continue to walk in that deception, then that is bad news. But the good news is, is if you are responding to Arise, O oh sleeper, arise. Wake up, wake up, wake up. That scripture that is telling us prophetically that there's going to come a time when the real remnant of the end time starts rising up, then the opposite effect of what I just was talking about in deception is that truth will always trump, pun intended, truth will always trump what's going on out there. So I'm going to put a plug in for truthsocial.com. We have got a media outlet from the President of the United States of America, who I really believe is the real president right now, and just, you know, had a corrupted election, and uh, more and more and more is being found out regarding that. The uh, Salem Now Network also has now put forth the second portion of the Uncle Tom and Sand went with Coco 
downtown Phoenix to go see that. Uh, it's a must-see, okay? I know it's $24.99 to download it online and watch it, but it would be a very much better investment than you watching all the propaganda and the lies and all these different things regarding uh, how to view and understand the whole subject of, of racism and how this media spin is really serving a political agenda of socialism and communism. <clears throat> That's the bottom line. And this goes back, according to what Sam told me in the film, about 100 years. So you can learn a lot because they expose parts of news that we don't get anywhere else. And I appreciate and respect Larry Elder for his candor and just his transparency in bringing forth truth as a man of color himself. And uh, he's really, really helped to wake a lot of people up regarding this subject of racism. And, you know, as soon as someone takes an opposite political side, even if they are a person of color, they're considered then an Uncle Tom. And it's really sick that they do that and that that has happened, but that is a politically motivated, evil political motivated agenda. So, you know, the good news that I have for the week, and everybody's supposed to bring forth at least one good story, there's got to be something good that you can bring forth. And the good news that I have is we have another licensed and ordained minister of love who has studied to show himself approved, a workman unto Yahweh, and he is equipped. And as an equipped man of Yah, he is now able to equip others and serve as a teacher to others and do all the functionality, legally, morally, ethically, etc., of the laws of the land of the United States of America, Scott Scribe Pratt is now able to perform ministry tasks. So the, the greatest news that I have is that that is in action. It is a happening. It is something now where wherever he puts his hand to, Abba Yah is going to bring forth Berachot. There's going to be favor that's going to pour out upon us as he now practices these principles in all his affairs, which is Kitve Kadesh, solid scripture step 12. 12 is serving others, and you have to be served, you have to be taught, you have to be mentored, you have to be educated before you have something to give to others. I got one guy that's in prison and he just wants to jump right to step 12. He just wants to think he's going to walk into being a minister and he's going to help love ministries so much. And it's like he doesn't even understand transformed recovery, you know. So I tried to break it to him this morning. You know, we're going to need to go through these steps together. You know, you're not just going to walk in and be one of our ministers of love. 
It doesn't work like that. You're going to be either not a student or you're going to be a student or you're going to be a committed student. Okay? It's that simple because to be a good leader, you must first be a good follower. And we see in the followers of Yahushua HaMashiach, we see a pattern that must be transcended into Lavik. That's what we model our ministry after. So if we don't see people following, if we look behind us and there's nobody there, then we've got a real challenge. Obviously, we are thinking we're doing something, but we're possibly casting pearls before a pig, and we should really evangelize to more people so we can find the people that are good soil that really want to receive those seeds that you're going to scatter as someone who is in a position to teach and share something valuable for them to grow from. So it's really, really important and, and to understand this good news that we have this established now who has studied minister that we can count on. We can all count on him to do the work of the ministry and know that his efforts will not be in vain but that his efforts will be fruitful and there will be positives that evolve from the things that he puts his hands to. So when he goes out and, you know, does a wedding vow renewal in Lake Tahoe, the weight that that carries in the lives of two people who have come together 10 years ago, rock and sand. The weight that that will carry versus the minister that we had the first time, and I love that guy. And I'm, I'm really grateful for having a friendship with that apostle. But we were so outside of the religious realm, and he said he was too. But what we came to realize as time progressed, even after we were married, is that he was still very, very much wrapped up in and very much committed to the Christian Pentecostal religion. And as many of you probably know, the good news is that we've got revelation that that is not the way, the truth, and the life. It's a counterfeit Christianity. It is not something that is Yah-made, but rather something that is man-made. And the good news is that we've got revelation and conviction together collectively and said, no, that's not for the remnant. That is not a remnant doctrine. So we pray for the Hibblers. We pray for their, their works that they're doing, any of their good works. They are friends of the olive tree. I'll give them that. But we're going to need to categorize who the Mishpaka really is and who the Mishpaka really isn't. And that's not a negative. 
that's actually a very positive thing because we're being obedient to Yah's word and we're separating wheat from chaff. And everybody that's a friend of the olive tree, I would think, has a better opportunity to convert into deeper levels of truth and get into the roots of the fruits and the fruits of the roots and really, really be able to grow in that realm much faster, like I did and Scribe did, much faster than others who have never opened up the scriptures. But then again, if they love their religion, if they love their traditions more than Yah's, they may struggle. And that's really what we've seen with them because they've surely been invited to go down the roads that we're going down and they completely rejected it. In fact, they laughed at it and they mocked it. And that really convicted me about our covenant that we made 10 years ago, that we had it made with someone who was not nearly as in alignment with me and my faith and my belief in truth as what he needed to be. So truthsocial.com, if someone is afraid to join it or afraid to be a part of it or get an account with it, I think that is part of that brainwashing that so many have been under and they don't see Trump as being a righteous person because the political realm crosses over into the Christian realm in a big way. There are many ministers who have the audacity to call themselves Democrats. Now, I don't believe you can be a follower, a true committed disciple of Galal Talmudim, of Yahushua HaMashiach, and say, yes, I'm a Democrat. And honestly, I don't think you can, you can be a true follower of Yahushua HaMashiach and be a Republican. But you can be a Trump-converting Republican or one who is converting away from the old Republican Party into this new party of truth. And they should almost call it the truth party and separate it, but if they did, they would be dividing the, the vote because all the money and all the power is in the Republican Party. And Trump is the number one fundraiser for that party, and it's not big money that's coming in. It's small donations of 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 bucks that brings in this huge amount of money, which means Trump truly is the people's president. He truly is someone who cares about the morals and the values and the ethics and the things that people really, in their Ruach man, in their person who prays, it resonates with them. And he's caused more people to leave the Democratic Party than anybody in our recent history of my lifetime. So those are all some very good news things. And tying our renewal of our covenant as good news, because we have someone who cares about truth, who cares about being on the right side of every issue, pun intended. you got to be on the right side, the side of righteousness. I'm glad the Republican Party isn't called the left, but that we're called the right. So 
the new Republican Party I see could be real people, not of religion, as many would think, but I believe people of faith in our real Mashiach Yahusha and the real Abba Yah, Yahuwah, hallelujah. This is where I believe it is to be, and I believe that's very good news that we are on the right side of issues. So I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, just say in advance thank you to Scott Scribe Pratt for accepting the invitation to become a Galal Talmudim. And thank you, Scott Scribe Pratt, for embracing a license and an ordination and not running from your call or your chosen place within kingdom, but rather embracing it, not running from it. And I believe we're all tempted when that huge mountain of responsibility faces us to run away, to not face it. But he has faced it, and that doesn't mean he's perfect, he's walking on water, but he is in the perfection business. He's in the equipping for perfection. That's what we do. If you don't understand that that's a minister's job, then you better reread and study and pray over those scriptures more because that's really what it's telling us to do. Ephesians 4 articulates that leadership and what that leadership is supposed to be doing. And if what you're doing is not preaching and teaching righteousness, then you're teaching and preaching wrongnessness, and that's not cool. Sorry. You're a fool. It's just not cool. It's just not cool to be a fool. So we're going to tell you, and really you don't want to be cool anyway, do you? You don't want to be wax cold. You don't want to be lukewarm. You want to be on fire because Abba Yah is an all-consuming fire, and when he gets in you, you're going to feel some fire. You're going to feel some heat. He's going to get you jumping up and down the street because he is going to fill you with his love. And you will not be able to contain it because love conquers all. It has to go out of you. So once you start getting filled with love, you've got to share it back out. Even our love for truth itself, you can't keep it to yourself. And this is what I was trying to teach this young man in prison is because he's going to be getting out and he just wants to step right into positions of leadership in our ministry and it's like he's going to have to pay his dues he's going to have to study with us and figure out that what he thought that he knew which he thought was a lot really and i mean i think he he knows that he wasn't fighting it but he just doesn't understand how to be a galal talmudim and that's the failure of the christian church they don't teach people how to be a Peter, a Kepha. They don't teach people how to be a Yehuchanan, 
a Jonathan or a John. They don't teach people how to be a Shaul or a Paul. They don't teach that. And that's sad. Because we're here to empower you with Ruach HaKadosh and fire so that you can go out and impact your community wherever you are. That's why we love radio, because it doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to be in my hometown. I'm not trying to build a church, and surely not a mega church. I'm trying to be like Peter, Paul, and John, Kefa, Yehukanan, and Shaul. I'm trying to be like these guys and take this message out and create committed disciples, Galal Talmudin. Because I know once you create committed disciples, committed followers, committed students, they're going to get filled up with more and more and more truth. And they're going to have something to share and care and love on the people with. And it will transform lives. It will. As Scribe takes this into the motorcycle sector and begins to go to rallies with me, we are going to be together in the face of the enemy in some of the most ravishing, overwhelming, incredible ways. The enemy is going to be the dominant force that is in these dry places of dry bones. But we can bring life and we can bring fire and we can bring love that will conquer all and even in those very evil places we will be able to find those scattered lost sheep that were once lost and are really desiring to be truly found. Not found in religion, but found in relationship of love with their creator. Oh, hallelujah, what a beautiful thing it would be. And this is such good news for us today. So I just want to tell you I'm going to be getting ready to get on my flight, so I'm not going to be able to talk too long. I've already took my first half hour, which is all I wanted to really do today. The rest of the time is put forth for us to share each of you some good news. And I hope you pass the phone around on the train and that you guys share some good news with people on that train. They overhear you and you are impacting your immediate circle of influence right where you are. Because that's good news, too. And if they're listening, if you're on speakerphone right now, then it's good news that they can all hear the good news. Hallelujah. Because the greatest news is the fact that there is an open-ended relationship waiting for you to walk into of love. With the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, 
welcoming you to be in that relationship that is the most important one that you can have. It has to be your first love. I hope that that good news will shine through you all this day. So, scribe, if you can open up in prayer and then share some good news and some yamentary to anything I've already said, and then we are going to have some more new good news coming from other people, and then we're going to play some clips that will stir us up. I have the 54-minute Jonathan Kahn. I have Christian Broadcast Network news from the 700 Club. Uh, I, got, I got a bunch of cool stuff today that I think will stir you up as a, as a believer, as a follower of Yahusha HaMashiach, a Galal Talmudim, and it will give you some material to really engage yourself in. And we encourage that. We love you, and we appreciate you, Scott Scribe Pratt, for being who you are and who you're becoming day by day as you continue to allow Ruach HaKadosh to take over. Hallelujah. It's all you, baby. Well, hallelujah. I'll do what I can. I'm going to have to keep it quiet because we all have already had a few uh, grumblings that phones were too loud, but we are in Denver, and we have ministered to a few people from time to time already, um, reaching out on, on a basis of uh, the health programs that we've got. We are just getting rolling again, hopefully, um, but otherwise it's been a good trip, and we're trying to... Uh, you know, Make what we believe known, but as you can hear, we've got the overhead comms going. Uh, nothing I can do about that. It's been a good trip so far. Um, so I don't know exactly how else to, you know, keep it moving right now, except to say that yeah, it's been a good it's been a good trip, and yeah, it's good all the time. So with that, I'm going to. Surrender it over to Yami and let her take it from there if she's listening, which I'm pretty sure she is. I just unmuted her, but uh, there she is. Did you tell me the cross? Right. Did you tell me? Okay. Hello, this is Yami, and I'm um, having a pleasant morning, as I as was described. And um, the crew here are on our way to the um, renewal vows of um, rock and sand. 10 years of um, of growing with Yah and growing with love ministry. And so I want to just lift up a special prayer um, for them and their union and that um, it may uh, shine forth the, the majesty of their Messiah 
and that it may um, uh, magnify the truth to the whole world, that in Yah we can live, move, have our being, and we can be something beautiful. And marriages can be beautiful and good. Um, we don't have to have divorce. We can work through life, through the issues of two new worlds coming together. Hallelujah for the majesty of the Messiah. And then for this day, we pray that um, love line enemy is assignments are canceled. They cannot um, harass uh, our, what Yah wants done today. And that everyone who has an ear does hear what the Ruhak has to say for them today, and thank you, you caused this to, um, this program to be a beautiful gift to whoever has an ear to hear what the Ruhat has to say for them just for today. So, Father, thank you that you told us to give us the same spirit that rose Yeshua from the dead, and you did not fail to do that. We thank you for the, that same spirit, for that Ruha that is inside of us. And we give it that Ruha permission to take over on this line that um, what he wants accomplished will be that Yah is our master and he's the one that we're representing and we want to be um, good at what we do. Thank you, Father, that you opened the door for us to learn what is the the most appropriate way for us to um, work a love ministry and that its goal be accomplished. We thank you that we all will fit and you'll cause us to grow. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Yami. This is Marissa. I know that it's been a Pretty good, good weekend, and looking forward to this next week coming up. And that back in Sandy are going to be renewing their vows, which will be wonderful to go to Lake Tahoe and enjoy the time together with the Mishkapa. And looking forward to to that, and as well as I'll be on the airplane tomorrow, and I haven't been on one in probably about, let's say, eight or nine years, I think, so it's going to be interesting and doing it without any pharmacia, so I know it will be okay, and it's only a short flight, so it's not the end end of the world, it's just different with 
everything that's been happening with COVID and everything with the rules and all that. And so I'll see how it goes. So anyways, it was, I found something about, as we've all been looking at our diets the past several weeks, and I've been looking at my diet for, for years now, but I'm finally being more disciplined and about different aspects of foods and what is healthy, what is not. And I was reading about this. I shared it with a few of you this morning about this, the food that can cause, it says eight foods that contribute to anxiety and depression. And some of them are on the list that I was doing quite often. And it says sugar-sweetened drinks, reconstituted meat products, packaged snack foods, chips, breakfast cereals, cookies, cake, and bread. I don't care. I'm in the middle of, of the line, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. So anyways, the um, thing about the foods here is because I used to have a problem with cookies was my main was my main thing, especially when I was working and they were always right there. I was eating between one to two a day sometimes, give or take. And those are pretty big cookies. So and it's easy to, easy to grab, especially in the middle of going in and out doing the delivery driving, just grabbing one, taking it with me, or even bags of chips because they're right there. And when you're running in and out and doing stuff and you don't have time to sit down and eat or I don't... When, that, I used to also bring my own snacks, so I try not to go towards the other ones, but it's it's easy when it's there. So it's like being at a house where Mark and Sandy don't supply and stock up on unhealthy foods, it's easier to not have it. <clears throat> so I noticed with, I mean, some cereals, I'm not going to say all cereals are bad, but majority of the cereals I avoid because of hidden ingredients and sugars and chemicals and I try not, I don't do a lot of bread anymore. And the other thing is cake. And that's what I was talking to Rock about recently about. I've been wanting to do it this past year. I was contemplating it. I just never pursued it. It's finding new ways of baked goods and making healthy, tasty things. And as I've been discovering throughout this, the Daniel fast that we can find enjoyment without having extra stuff that we usually want to eat. So... Just looking at our health is most important, and that's what what um is exciting about learning about these new products that Mark and Sandy have been discovering and that they've been sharing with us that we can was it yesterday was talking about the the skin products, and I think it's just as important to go work on your inside so then you can stay healthy and it'll also help you outside. Of your of your skin too, so it's, and I'm thankful for for Yahweh's goodness and His foods and His and His help with with our diet. And I'm going to just read this one. Those I've been reading the Psalms in the morning. I might as well read it now. I am so I'm thankful for Yahweh's help and for His understanding in the time of this um, article that it's right on time as we go forward into ending. I don't know how many of you are, are ending your fast today or whenever you started, but it helps remind us 
to keep keep us on track. So I think I'm on number eight. As Skype was my helper and reminded me where I'm at, and it's it's my duty to have the remembrance and where I, where I am. So hallelujah for for help. But I I've been praying that Yahweh is is my helper, the my memory and my my brain that it functions right in Yeshua's name. So to this, this is Psalm 8, to the chief singer on harp, a psalm of the week. O Yahweh our Adon, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Who You who made your splendor above the Shammayim, out of the mouth of children and infants, you have found founded strength because of your adversaries to put an end to enemy and avenger by see your Shammayim, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established. What is man that you remember him, and the son of man that you visit him, yet you have made him a little less than Elohim, and have crowned him with esteem and splendor. You made him rule over the works of your hands, and have put all under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the Shamaim, and the fish of the sea, passing through the paths of the seas, O Yahweh, or Adon, how excellent is your name in all the earth. I may have read that last time, but I'm going to have to write these down. But anyways, that we'd like to magnify Yahweh's name. And I also pray for boldness that when, when you feel prompted to share Yahweh, Yahweh's word or go out in the public to to do what Yahweh's called you to do, that nothing can give you fear or hold you back, that we can praise him no matter what. So, hallelujah. Yahweh's our, our helper, and he's our protector. Now I'll pass for that. Well, this is Sand, and I would like to share one good news story with you today, um, and that is uh, in probably about an hour, I'm thinking. It's going to be 1230, I think, in the central time zone. Uh, there will be a call-out for Transform Recovery at the Kansas Department of Corrections in, in Norbert, I think it's called, such as the end. And so another... Transform meeting is starting within the system, and we're excited about that. And uh, I guess I'm just going to lift up Shipley and all the men that whose hearts uh, may be pricked to join. So, Heavenly Father, Yahweh, we give you praise for this good news that the chaplain saw favor in our uh, in in his eyes to allow Transform Recovery to begin in this place. And we are asking that your Ruach just fill that prison. And when that call-out happens over that speaker and people are invited, the men are invited to come join the meeting, that, that they will be interested and intrigued and curious. And, and when they see what it's all about, they will be ready 
for transformation. These are men who are going through transformation in their lives as they're correcting the things from their past. And they need transformation in their lives to be prepared to go back out into the world and not be of the world, but have a new life, a new transformed life. So I pray, Father, that you would touch each one and that you would strengthen Shipley, that he would be very uh, in tune with your Ruach and what is to be said, to keep it simple, to allow the men to understand the simplicity of the complexity of transformation for them for them in their lives. And I pray that, uh, that they will be touched and that the word would spread and that others would be coming next week and the week after and the group will grow bigger and then it will be the chaplain is, probably works at other uh, facilities as well and he'll want to bring it into other places when he sees the transformation that's happening in the lives of these men. So we thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for this good news, and we thank you that you go before us and that you are fighting for us and that with you nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. Now I can see your truth in front of me. 
Joining me now for a little bit of levity among all the insanity is the brilliant columnist from the Daily Telegraph and blogger extraordinaire, Tim Blair. Thank you very much. And joining us both is YouTuber and commentator, Daisy Cousins. Great to see you both. Now, I got very excited by this uh, Ron DeSantis ad. He's launched a fantastic new campaign video. I'm a sucker for Top Gun, so uh, here we go. It's called Top Gov. Have a look at it, guys. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your governor speaking. Today's training evolution, dogfighting, taking on the corporate media. The rules of engagement are as follows. Number one, don't fire unless fired upon. But when they fire, you fire back with overwhelming force. Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill. Number two, never ever back down from a fight. So Ron DeSantis, of course, is the Florida governor who may well be the next president of the U.S. if Trump doesn't one, win, but I'll uh, run, rather. I'll ask my panel about that. But first, Daisy, I wanted to ask you, as a professional actress, how did you rate Ron DeSantis' Tom Cruise uh, efforts there? <laughs> I thought I thought he was fabulous, Ro, and I'd give him a, a lovely 10 out of 10. I mean, he embodies the style, he embodies the vibe, and I think he's just fabulous. I mean, honestly, Ron DeSantis has just mastered the culture wars from a political perspective. He, he is the ultimate populist um, in the best possible way, and he's always had this wonderful sort of flair for the theatrical. I mean, remember in, in 2018, um, when he was candidate for governor, uh, one of his campaign videos involved him teaching his little toddler to build the wall to borrow the Trump <laughs> phrase out of building blocks and it was, it was absolutely hysterical it was so gorgeous and and so appealing um, I, I love what he's done here because he's basically he's embodied Trump but he's sort mm. of more palatable there Fantastic. I say it Tim? to um, your average person yeah. Tim yeah. what did you make of it make of it and will he run <laughs> I think with that ad that's basically putting a tick next to that question isn't it but, um, <laughs> one of the most impressive things about his campaign, if we can call it that, because it hasn't really begun in earnest, but is that usually when you have a maverick politician, they have people around them who are, whose job it is to tone them down, or to make, uh, you know, give them a sort of a, a bit of a polish and make sure they're uh, more palatable to the press. DeSantis has people who are even more direct than he is. He's got some real potent forces yeah, there. Absolutely. And they take on blokes of CNN, Disney, the big woke corporations, and they win. Yeah. 
story. And he had that chief health officer who just said, no, nah, no, man, that's not doing it. We're not doing any of that yep, stuff. And <laughs> just walked away from it. And was proven correct. Now, um, uh, just on that, Tim, do you think, is there a danger when politicians start acting, you know, being in kind of... Uh, when do they stop? <laughs> Very good. Absolutely A true. lot of them pretend to be competent. I'd rather, you know, <laughs> someone walk around in a flyboy outfit with some jets. He has some military background. It's not entirely a sort of a, a fake persona. So, uh, yeah, go for it. And also, it's America. You've got to go big with these campaigns. So, uh, Daisy, do you think we might see Ron DeSantis up against who? Maybe Kamala. You never know. That would be an interesting one. Oh, that'd be hysterical, Rowan, if he went against Kamala. I'd pay to watch that election uh, campaign. That'd be hilarious. Um, look, I don't know if he'll run this time round, though. He's got a great job as governor. He's very popular. He's doing well in the polls against his Democrat contenders. And he's got a young family and a wife who is currently recovering from cancer. I mean, does, is it smart for him to run now from his perspective? Or I guess does he wait a good few question. years? He's very guess, young. He's absolutely. got a lot of time. Now, I want to talk about someone dear to us all, Yasmin Abdel-Magid. Yes, it's been a while since we've talked about Yasmin. Uh, she said some pretty unsavoury things in the past, but she always manages to outdo herself and go one better. Yasmin Abdel-Magid <laughs> has a new book in which she fantasises about ditching her Australian citizenship, saying she wants to unbelong to Australia. Uh, you know, let's not forget, she was the young Queenslander of the year. You taxpayers, we taxpayers paid for her to travel the world to promote her book. Um, she has, since she's been in London, also managed to upset plenty of people by not only slagging off Australia, but slagging off the Union Jack. So all round, pretty, pretty uh, solid effort there from Yasmin. Uh, what do you make, Tim, of this latest, uh, she wants to unbelong to Australia? Well, she fantasises about getting rid of her Australian citizenship. Well, a lot of Australians fantasise about her giving up her Australian citizenship. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be more than happy to witness it. But, you know, I hate you, Rob, because you made me read some extracts from her book, which, honestly, it makes Lisa Wilkinson's effort look like a, a calm, <laughs> rational analysis from a, a really considered <laughs> perspective. It's the most ego-driven, crazy bunch of random phrases and, and, and new-age concepts. It, it's physically sick thinking. Um, what were your thoughts on her latest, Daisy? I mean, uh, Tim is right. She certainly knows how to court the publicity. Not sure that what much that she says makes much sense. Uh, she once said that Islam, for instance, was the most peaceful of religions. You can make your own mind up about that. But Daisy, what did you make of uh, this mm. latest bit of Yasmin uh, stirring of the pot? Roman, what I remember actually saying Islam was the most feminist religion. So that, that really was a, a, a quite the killer comment. Look, I just think this, these excerpts prove, in my opinion, she just has such tickets on herself. I think she thinks she's just so important because she says that she, uh, she thinks she was the most publicly hated Muslim at the time. Well, first of all, remember, that wasn't long after the Sydney siege. I think the perpetrator of that terrible event might have just been the most publicly hated Muslim. Mm -hmm. Not Yasmin Abdul-Magid. And the thing is, saying that everyone hates you is the same as saying everyone loves you because it both, both of them mean you think that everyone cares about you <laughs> just so much. And the reality is most people don't give a toss who she is. I have to remind myself of who she is now because she's, she's not current anymore and it's my job to pay attention to current events. Massive ego, in my opinion. Tim? Yes. 
probably <laughs> the most massive ego. Um, and, and, and the proportion of it to ability, is, <laughs> the ratio is wrong. <laughs> the, 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 the ego to accomplishment ratio is out by a factor of Christ only knows what. <laughs> Sorry to mention a rival deity there, but she's... I urge people to read the book. Just read the excerpts. You can find kicking around the internet. No need to buy the thing because that's an act of cruelty. But just read this and you'll get an insight into how, how far narcissism can go when it's absolutely unchecked. This is extraordinary. Well, this is narcissism, if we remember, that was promoted relentlessly by mm. the ABC, taxpayers' money, promoted relentlessly by Julie Bishop and the Department of Foreign Affairs. Yeah, good call, Jules. money. Great work, Jules. Uh, you know, if the taxpayer's mm. going to look after you, then terrific. Uh, try standing on your own two feet. Anyway, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Daisy. We are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. We are a nation that has the highest inflation in over 40 years where the stock market just finished the worst first half of a year in more than five decades. We are a nation that has the highest energy cost in its history, and we are no longer energy independent or energy dominant, which we were just two short years ago. We are a nation that is begging Venezuela and Saudi Arabia for oil. We are a nation that surrendered in Afghanistan, leaving behind dead soldiers, American citizens, and $85 billion worth of the finest military equipment in the world. We are a nation that allowed Russia to devastate a country, Ukraine, killing hundreds of thousands of people, and it will only get worse. We are a nation that has weaponized its law enforcement against the opposing political party like never before. We've never seen anything like this. We are a nation that no longer has a free and fair press. Fake news is about all you get. We are a nation where free speech is no longer allowed, where crime is rampant like never before, where the economy has been collapsing, where more people died of COVID in 2021 than in 2020. We are a nation that is allowing Iran to build a massive nuclear weapon and China to use the trillions and trillions of dollars it's taken from the United States to build a military to rival our own. We are a nation that over the past two years is no longer respected or listened to all around the world. And we are a nation that is hostile to liberty and freedom and faith. We are a nation whose economy is floundering, whose stores are not stocked whose deliveries are not coming and whose educational system is ranked at the bottom of every list. We are a nation that in many ways has become a joke. But soon we will have greatness again. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country and it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot beat. 
There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield ever, ever, ever. We will never give in. We will never give up. And we will never, ever back down. We will never let you down. As long as we are confident and you know, the tyrants we are fighting do not stand even a little chance. Because we are Americans, and Americans kneel to God and God alone. And it is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. No, we're not in Dallas. We're not in Nashville. We're not in Florida. We're back in our hometown, the Big Apple. And we're out at one of my favorite places, the Whitestone Republican Club in Queens. And there is a storm brewing out here. We're asking people tonight some simple questions. Is this just the beginning of the MAGA momentum? Does Donald Trump have to be at the top of the ticket for this momentum to continue? And by the way, overwhelming numbers on a percentage basis of minorities including black and latino voters are shifting to the republican party we are the big tent but is the tent big enough can we do more we'll ask some great americans about that too and finally when Kara and I hit the streets, we don't only talk to great Americans, we talk to some great candidates, too. And we're going to talk to some of them tonight and tell you who's coming your way to keep the red wave going in the midterm elections. We're talking about this week, Donald Trump is 56-0 and 0 in congressional endorsements. Mm-hmm. Is this just the beginning of the MAGA momentum? Oh, I, I definitely believe so. Uh, you know, it started here uh, in 21 when I won my election, along with four other Republicans took city council seats for a total of five. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but it is quite a bit. We've got a significant a minority, so we're able to fight the battles. We may not win all the wars, but it's going back to your point. The point being is that everybody realizes that it's done. 
It's done. Nobody's buying into the Democratic malarkey. And what we've got sitting in the White House just keeps enforcing that every single day. I think the thing that we need to do to keep the momentum going is understand that as Republicans, we've become the party of the working class. We began, we've begun expanding our base with uh, immigrant communities and also understand that there's certain issues that transcend party affiliation, like education, crime, small business ownership. And I think these issues are why people are starting to uh, forget about their political affiliation and start voting more issues-based, which is actually helping the Republican Party bring new voters to the table. Well, right now, to keep the alive, I think that we need empowerment and unity and togetherness, because not one politician or candidate is going to be able to do this on their own. We're just going to have to unite and stand together and fight. And the momentum is inspiration. You know, all politicians have to start waking up and speaking the damn truth because it really, really gets exhausting. And these rhinos, we're just disgusted. Enough is enough. It's, it's time to stand up. You know, I, I always tell people, putting a lawn sign out in front of your house isn't enough anymore. Donating $20 to a local not candidate, enough. it's not enough anymore. Why are you still wearing a mask? Uh, because it's Let's Go Brandon, so... No, Just I, like, I yeah. know, but we're, at, we're outdoors. Oh, uh, that's the first, yeah, well, also, because um, um, it's just being funny, plus also... Um, I is that funny? I, well, I mean, some people think it is. Hey, now, I was surprised to hear you use a term like malarkey, because I'm used to you using <laughs> some yeah. other, a little more strenuous yeah, terms than that. I, I got a shock collar on <laughs> Do you consider yourself a Trump Republican or an establishment Republican? Oh, Trump Republican all day long. You know, I'm, you know, Trump is the one who initially started this new wave of conservatism that's happening here in New York and around the country. So that's, you know, where I got my, you know, he led the way in a way. So if you look at when Trump first got elected, when it comes to the black vote compared to now, that's increased. So, I mean, there's more diversity. There's more, you see a lot more youth in the Republican Party than you saw when Trump just first ran. Trump showed some phenomenal growth among Hispanic Americans, among Asian Americans, among different groups, among white working class. Uh, he has grown the Republican Party, and I think the ceiling uh, has yet to be hit. Many Hispanics are coming over to the conservative party. You as a Puerto Rican woman, could you explain why you think that is? I think that is because if you look uh, historically at the elections, you can see that the Hispanics have always been in the back. But it's time. We're getting now, okay, tired of being the last, being the least. And we do have talent, and we do have where we would take, I think, to make a difference in this hour. I decided to write an article as if I was a left-wing radical activist who was sick and tired and threatened by the loud majority of these evil boogeymen. And what was the name you used? Well, I, uh, I wrote a very, what was the name? Detailed article, and I signed it off. Yours truly, Holden McGroin. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, it got published! <laughs> 56 and 0 in congressional endorsements is something that we shouldn't be taking lightly, and a lot of people want to say that he only endorses front runners. That's not true. Uh, and I, I, I say this, and I point to, and maybe it's not congressional, but Ron DeSantis, when he endorsed Ron DeSantis in 2018, Ron DeSantis was buried in the polls. Absolutely buried. Now he's the best governor in the country. Thank goodness for that endorsement. Um, and so I think that, it, again, I think that endorsement is worth its weight in gold, um, especially 
on the congressional side. Do you think Donald Trump has to be on the top of the ticket for this momentum to continue? Well, at the moment, Donald Trump is obviously the biggest candidate in the race. Until he declares he's not running, he's the presumptive nominee, and I wouldn't have it any other way. We have so many just amazing Republican candidates. You have DeSantis, you have Cruz, but right now, as, as, as unbelievable as DeSantis is, Trump brings with him this fear factor that leaders all over the world, they're not going to cross him. He's that bulldog, he's that alpha male on the planet. No doubt. And right now that's what we need to get this world straightened out. No one, no one is Trump. No one comes close to Trump. No one can get the energy he has. No one brings out the bodies. No one gets the, uh, the enthusiasm, the excitement that President Trump does. Uh, he's a natural leader. He's a leader of our movement. He's a leader of our party. Uh, and he's the man we need at the top of the ticket uh, for us to retake the White House, for us to retake the House and retake the Senate. Could you do a Trump impression, your best Trump impression? Well, absolutely. And I just have to say, you know, wise guys with John Tabaka and Kara Kestrinova, you know, she's a fantastic person, too. They're both great people. And it's a wonderful show. And I just have to say, you know, uh, the best is yet to come, believe me. <laughs>